Welcome to the Hanging Out With Podcast. Tonight, we're going to get a little spooky and become horrible creatures of the night. We're going from how to however. I don't... Is that how you would pronounce that? How war? How roar? Yes. <sighs> don't worry. Okay, let's... One more from the top. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Hanging Out With Cast. Tonight, we're going to get a little spooky, and we're becoming horrible creatures of the night. We're going from how to horror. <laughs> I'm taking no, that. That right. one's good. I like it. Oh, no, that that, oh this is where we go from. He's <laughs> out, yeah. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Tonight, I am joined by my dark pantheon. First up, we have Jimmy Bones, the Skeleton Lord. Rattle, rattle. <laughs> Next up, we have Danny, the Wolfman Mild. He is the alpha of the who, what, where, when, and why wolves. Werewolf, not werewolf. And next, we have Tristan. And Tristan, he's a zombie. <laughs> That's he was the closest thing to one. it. <laughs> he's dead. I had a little like rhyme going. It was like Tristan the zombie, he'll eat your skin or something, but I'm going to toss that aside. Um, <laughs> But now it doesn't rhyme. Now it's just a dead guy. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Every podcast <laughs> right. needs a ghost. Rest in peace, Tristan. Rip. Rip to a real one. We miss you. And it's me, the keeper of the crypt. Here's Johnny. <laughs> so that's like, I don't know if you guys have seen it. That's a movie line. So like. I, that's one I of think, my favorite horror films. Though. I think it's, it's pretty good. Um. It's my favorite late night talk show. <laughs> so, uh. Johnny Carson show. John, when can we do an episode about Johnny Carson? Let's do it next week. Oh, okay. Next week. You got it. Okay. So, uh. To, uh. To get into our spooky episode, we still have a couple of things that are not super spooky. So, we're gonna get those out of the way at the start. Um. And, uh, excuse the rest, it's been a hot minute. Uh, so, we'll get into it. We'll talk about the things that we like and the things we don't like. And, uh, we'll just kind of hang out. Be scared, you know? Be prepared. I'm already scared. I, we've recorded this intro, like, two, three times, and I'm horrified. I, I have something that I can say, and I, I'm not sure I want to bring it up because it might take us to a fourth time recording. 
Dan, put it in the in the text Do channel. Do not put it can... in the text chat. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so I, I'll give you guys a little bit of a background. Um, I I record this on my end, and uh, this little audio board that I have set up is set up to record my microphone on one level, and then all of my computer audio on another level. So every time that they put a message in the chat, a little beep shows up and I just we're already off to a rocky start I don't think I can take any more disappointment <laughs> then why am I well, here I like oh Kristen no you, you mean so much more than that you're not just a corpse you're our corpse you're our corpse <laughs> you're our number one ghoul if uh if you can't live together you can't die together am I right Bless. Bless. I would think so. I'm hoping that when this is all over, they can bury us all in a mass grave together. They don't even have to mark it. I think it's better if they don't. A mass grave. Do you, is that what's like? If there's ever a revolution, that's what they're gonna do to the podcasters. Easily, the, probably. We're the first to go. During the during the rise up, all podcasters are on the chopping block. Um, what were you going to say, Danny? Do you remember? I already, yeah, I, I wrote it to James. I was just going to... No, it's stop. a good idea. Just say yeah. it. Yeah, do it. So since, uh, you know, the theme is spooky, and you've got an opening that's spooky, but we need to, like, go between an, our, our normal segment and stuff to a spooky, shouldn't you just do that at the transition? and then we just do like a cold open for the normal stuff no that makes so little sense and if you ever I'm sorry if you ever question how I set up this podcast again it's not gonna look good for you Danny (laughs) I ever embarrass it he's gonna ban you I uh I like to think I rule this podcast with a bigger but iron grip. Yeah. <laughs> we will talk after this podcast meeting. <laughs> Outside. Okay, let's get on to Dragon Ball. Hey. <laughs> no, I see what Dan's saying now because Dragon Ball's not spooky. That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm, I put the the non-spooky stuff at the start so we could get through the non-spooky stuff and then we get through the spooky stuff. Horror movies don't start out spooky. They start out normal and then you get to the spooky spooky. part. That's fine. I gave you spooky names because I wanted you guys to feel spooky so you could feel the sense of dread. We're talking about Dragon Ball. So you could feel the sense of dread while I'm talking about Dragon Ball. Because it's Halloween. Guys, we need to scrap everything else but spooky. No, I'm talking about Dragon Ball. God. God. Okay, I'm sorry. I got a little fired up. This is a happy podcast. We are friends. We are hanging out. The part when you were trying to inspire us with dread. Anyways, I'm just waiting for the point that he just threatens uh, to kill us. Okay, if you guys want me 
to keep it spooky because we started spooky, I will, off the top of my head, come up with a way to make these non-spooky things spooky. Or tie it into our characters because we're all characters tonight because it's Halloween and we're dressing up and we're having fun, right? What do you mean we're dressing up? The only person we can verify is dressed up as me. I'm here. I'm, I'm uh, Dr. Pee-Pee. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a serial killer. It's fine. Okay, so let's make look like the, un else. The, the dead the undead and look for seven Dragon Balls to bring Tristan the zombie back to life. You happy, Danny? Yeah. Okay, cool. So... <laughs> I've been having a hard time lately. Uh, so what I've been doing is I've been escaping back to uh, some nostalgia. And I've been hopping down the Dragon Ball train. This all kind of started with uh, the new Dragon Ball movie came out. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Uh, Still need to see it. It's good. It's. It, I wish it was better, but it's good. It it it's fun. Um, really, all I'm looking for in Dragon Ball. Uh, I'm not. I'm I'm not expecting any high art from it. Dragon Ball is just wrestling. Um, I've talked to my partner about this, and it's it's basically you push your your superstars, which is usually a Goku or uh, somebody else, and you job out all of your other characters so they can face the heel at the end of the big event. Um, and to be fair. This uh, this movie is good for doing that. Um, it is a movie that focuses on Gohan and Piccolo, and to uh, make them relevant, they just put uh, Vegeta and Goku and uh, Brawly, because Brawly is now a canon character that's hanging out with the crew. They put them on another planet and make them unreachable. So uh, you have to- Interesting. Uh, you have to uh, save the world um, with just Piccolo and uh, Gohan. And, you know, Gohan's whole thing after the whole cell arc is he's like, I uh, I don't want to fight no more. I just want to study books. And it kind of sets up Piccolo trying to punk Gohan the whole time to make him care about fighting. Um, and for that... It was fun. I really like uh, Gohan. He is my favorite Dragon Ball character. So I'm always really down anytime they push him for SummerSlam. Um, He's a really good character development-wise. That a whole for SummerSlam. <laughs> that being said, uh, a lot of people's problems with this movie all all are very valid. They kind of they kind of push. They bring back an old villain um, to be Gohan's villain, and it's very, oh, that makes sense because that was Gohan's villain. Uh, and they pull a power up out of Gohan and Piccolo, where they have new forms uh, that are kind of out of left field. Still was a fun time. <laughs> We get Super Saiyan Namekian. Yes, there is a, a <laughs> big beefy Namekian, and then Piccolo all 
also remembers he can turn real big, so he he gets big. Um, they give this villain uh, the same powers of uh, Godzilla in Shin Godzilla, which I thought was really fun. That's but pretty cool. Anyways, that was fun, but it started me down a a path of no return. So in the time since I've seen that, I've read all of Dragon Ball Super. It's pretty okay. Uh, but the big thing I want to talk about is uh, there is a fan comic that I found. It's a French fan comic. The art is actually surprisingly good. It's called Dragon Ball, I want to say Kakumi, um, which translates uh, to basically Dragon Ball Revolution. And it takes up after Dragon Ball Super before anything got added from Dragon Ball Super. And it goes into a situation where there's going to be a multi-dimensional war because after the end of Super, uh, the Universe 7 people wished back all the universes, which meant that they wished back a bunch of universes that were destroyed before the Tournament of Power and everything. Um, whatever. Uh, but the biggest thing it does is uh, it gets rid of Goku in the first chapter. Goku is not a factor, and it's all about all of the other characters having to set up and prepare for Goku not being around. So it does the thing that Dragon Ball does really well in Dragon Ball Z. It gives you, I want to say, two years, and everybody in two years has to figure out how am I going to train to deal with this multi-dimensional war that we're going to be fighting, like, angels and gods of destruction and everything. So, like, you set up Gohan, and he goes and starts hanging out with uh, Jiren and his superhero people and that's a really fun team up um, you have Vegeta and Vegeta goes to Universe 6's uh, uh, Saiyan homeworld and he has to teach them how to be prideful in the same race and like it's much better than it has any right to be and like it treats its characters with a lot more like reverence and respect than Super ends up getting into because Super kind of just boils down to Goku and Vegeta hanging out with each other and fighting the big bad and every other character isn't relevant and then Vegeta pulls out a new form Vegeta loses, then Goku wins kind of similar to literally everything else uh, so the setup of all of that and giving reverence to like characters there's a really like sweet moment where uh vegeta's going off to train and trunks is really sad to see his sister leave because or to leave his sister and vegeta's like you're gonna be the new prince of all saints you can't be like that and then trunks goes off to leave and he goes and picks up uh bola and he's just he's just real sweet to her and talks about how much he loves his daughter and i love that stuff i love all of the small moments in dragon ball where the characters can just like sit around and chat and just talk about things and there's a lot of that so i uh i highly recommend it i might when i uh post this 
put a link to it. Um, if you guys are looking for Dragon Ball and you're out of Dragon Ball to read, this is definitely a good substitute for that. Um, I mean, there's also the alternate timeline shit. Like the point where the I one that I remember I found was what if Vegeta was sent to Earth instead of Goku? Like that's so it's higher Dragon Ball series, but it, instead of Goku, it's Vegeta, and he just overpowers everybody. I was about to say that's yeah, just ridiculous <laughs> because Vegeta would have just taken Earth. Yeah, but the thing is, he just the I just read basically the synopsis because I couldn't find the real thing. But like he, it goes through all of Dragon Ball where he just beats everybody to a pulp instantly. But then when it hits the Saiyan arc, Goku has taken Vegeta's place in the timeline. So he's like 20 times more powerful than Vegeta ever could because he never had to train or anything else. And then apparently they go and fight Frieza because that's the timeline they decided to go with. Did you guys ever uh, sit and watch that Dragon Ball fan animation that came out recently? I have Which not. Uh, I, I can link it to you guys. Uh, it's real good. Um, I guess that's kind of what got me started with all of this. Not the movie that I said was the start, but it's really good. Um, and I guess this kind of, a big reason I wanted to talk about this is like, this is kind of my first jump into like, what is fan fiction? Um, have you guys ever like jumped into any like extended universe fan fiction stuff that like you found actually really good and compelling? I actually have to a point. I haven't read too much of it since I read the first couple pages of one of them that I actually started going down the rabbit hole with. Yeah, what was it? Uh, um, it was uh, Fairy Tale: The Next Generation. I'm trying to remember who the author of it is. Uh, but the basic idea of it is that it's taken place after the entire series is taking place. So I'm assuming it's right after the Hundred Years Quest, but I think it was produced before that because it's centered around. Um, the children of the main characters and seeing how they deal with these new enemies and basically how they their parents have shaped the world and all that kind of stuff and having to go through things with all that on their backs. Okay. So it's kind of, it's gone into like a lot of detail from what I noted, but I've only read the first few pages of the first one and I've really liked it and I've been needing to read more of it. What about you, uh, Jim and Dan? I, I got a question. Like, what, what really constitutes fan fiction? Uh, I've got something on my mind that, like, might count, but I don't know that it really fits what people would think normally, you know? Something that, I guess, isn't written by the sanctioned uh, IP holders, if that makes okay. sense. So, like... A, a big thing of Command and Conquer has like a huge fan base, but none of the games are around anymore. So that game and like its engine is mostly kept alive by like a modding community. And so the way that story gets told in that kind of game is through like campaigns. And so there's a 
the campaign of like a really popular movement for it. Uh, it's called Mental Omega. That has like a really compelling story because like they just spend time with characters that like you know don't get told about, and you get to follow that through all these different side stories. Mm -hmm. In that way, it's really fun. But that's like the biggest fan fiction, I guess I would say, I've interacted with. It's a very interesting point to think that mods are fan fiction, but they kind of are. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. What about you, uh, Jim? Uh, I don't think I've read any like real fan fiction. I have read a couple of web serials recently. Mm-hmm kind of posted in the uh in the same circles and i from what i've seen they generally have big fan fiction followings themselves but uh no not not any licensed properties really while we're here i want to give a shout out to what i would describe a fan fiction as um and this is going to be something that i'm sure tristan will back me up a hundred percent on is uh I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on it, but I do want to give a shout out uh, because it is very good. Uh, Scoob and Shag, or is it Shag and Scoob? It is. It is Scoob and Shag. Um, I don't on know. If, I don't know if uh, we've told you guys about this. Um, and like I said, we'll be real quick about this. Uh, it is a webtoons comic that starts out as a shit post. Um. Like quite literally, the first the first uh, chapter is um, Shaggy being like, "Like Zoink Scoop, where are we gonna get the mayonnaise for these sandwiches?" And uh, then Scooby just vomits a bunch of mayonnaise, and it's like three panels yeah. long, and it's great. But the uh, best part about the, the only the main things I mm -hmm. liked about the ship post mm -hmm. parts were just that they couldn't actually use zoinks, so they kept giving him different things to say. They, uh, they like, just, at one point, he goes, oh, Zaboomafu, Scoob. It, they just keep going crazy. Um, and then it shifts and into... These, they are fantastic. It, it shifts into um, what I would describe as some of the most compelling uh, battle manga chapters I have ever read. Uh, and they just keep getting better. They just keep getting better. <laughs> there is a point in which uh, these uh, these cartoon characters, the premise is there's a bunch of these cartoon characters and they're fighting each other with their hyper-specific, like, almost JoJo power. Um, and there's one instance that I really want to describe, which is uh, Popeye, um, who is on the good side. Yes. Um, he has a Pop power called frame by frame, which lets him see things frame by frame so he can react to things in one frame. Um, and then there is uh, Yosemite Sam, who, uh, yes. who has yes. a, uh, a gun, which I think his power is like pinpoint or something like that. Basically, he, can, like that. he can shoot things real good. He, he, he won't miss his shot. Um, and you would think, well, that sounds like Popeye has a perfect counter to Yosemite no. Sam. And he does. Yosemite Sam cannot hit Popeye. But <laughs> Yosemite Sam can hit Dee Dee 
from Dexter's <laughs> laboratory who was injured in the previous fight. And it turns into a battle between uh, Popeye and Yosemite Sam, where Popeye is specifically getting into, like, hitting himself into the bullets in places that aren't uh, places that will kill him so he can protect Didi until he can beat uh, Yosemite Sam. And, like, it's so good for character development just to see those details in mm-hmm. specific combats. It's uh, just the amount of detail put into it is amazing. It, it has it sounds a lot like a stand battle. Yeah, it, it, it feels it like is. <laughs> some of the best JoJo chapters to exist. Um, it's, yeah, I already I read it to... through twice before I got John addicted to it. It's, it's one of those things that I'm like sitting every week waiting for the next chapter. Um, yep. Because, like, there's some some things going on. Um, Rolf just showed up, and he's real big and strong. I love Rolf so and he, much. Yeah. He he doesn't have uh he doesn't have a stand power, but he's just he fucking, has Martian art. He's just though. fucking yoke, dude. <laughs> and that, I'm so ex- does sound so excited to see. Like... Sorry, go ahead. I'm just excited to see all of that, but definitely like check it out because like uh like uh uh tristan was saying it's really compelling like it will set up villains and there are points that i'm like i'm scrolling and i'm like oh my god what's happening next they make bugs bunny a really compelling villain like you're actually scared of him bugs is a hero not in this not 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 in this that's okay. Fantastic. I got two things. Number one, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. I forgot that I spent a good portion of high school reading Fallout Equestria. Uh, <laughs> so, boom. That's your fan fiction right there. That's extremely good. I recommend it. Uh, two, this scoop and shag sounds a lot like one of those web serials. I wasn't going to talk about it because it, it bears a larger discussion. It's fantastic. But this web serial Worm, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a superhero type of thing. No, I, I don't like superheroes all that much, as mm-hmm. we discussed in the previous episode with your Batmans and your Spidermans. Uh, Worm is fantastic. It's that exact kind of fight. Each chapter has a fight where powers are... like There's, there's such a strong interplay. And the lead character controls bugs and you would think that's like, Oh, that's either incredibly strong or incredibly weak. Depends on the situation. And it's like, no, that's not her superpower. Her superpower is that she is absurdly meticulously detailed. That's the superpower. Mm. The bugs just help her do things. (laughs) That's awesome. It's so good. I've been talking to Dan about Mm. worm for months. I've been reading it almost the entire time. I've I had to stop because the audiobook isn't caught up and the audiobook's very good. Okay. Worm is as long as one hundred and sixty percent of a Harry Potter. Um okay, so let's uh And I did find the and I did find the author finally. For your fairy terrier. The fan thing. fiction that I was reading. Yeah. I wh- found it on what on Wattpad. What? I had, I had to I had to look it up. Why? But the per- the author who wrote it was Katie loves to write and two is like the number two. 
That's what it was. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been Katie's got one thing time. and she does it. <laughs> Doug, were you the one saying what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Okay. So good. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're gonna get back into the podcast. The no, spooky yeah, podcast. Item number two, uh, Thirty minutes in. No, keep all that. That was good. I also, like Dan show. So spooky now. What's more oh, spooky than our dead friend not being able to come back to life because we didn't have a dragon radar? Um, <laughs> Mario is. <laughs> Do we want to state our our statements on the Mario movie trailer first? Um, what? Well, let's. What does that have to do? Uh, or is that a separate thing? Well, you can say it at the you end, have, but I'm gonna go into here again. Do um, you have a statement? We've been asking for items for the docket for like weeks. <laughs> no, but why, why is it? No, hey, did Tristan Mario that like he has a prepared response <laughs> to the Mario trailer, and I don't want to hear anything else until I hear that. He's just trying to get, get the information out there. Okay, so no, I me, just wanted to get everybody's opinions. Honestly, let me, let me lead into this real quick. Um, we're we're back with some more spooky topics. Uh, uh. Mario <laughs> plus rabbits. I don't know oh, God. what could be more scary. Oh, you played Mario and plus rabbits. Is this uh, the the new one that just came out? Yeah, this is the sequel. I've been playing. I played the first one quite a bit and there actually is a spooky level in the first one. So it kind of fits. There you go. See, but, but you the, guys, new, the new one, you guys is... said it couldn't be done, but so far, <laughs> I'm a hundred percent spooky. No, the new game has been amazing. They definitely fixed a lot of the complaints I had with the first game. So that's a definite plus in my book. Uh, the sparks definitely add more uh, tactical details to it. Can I ask what the sparks are? Normally? So sparks so sparks are basically lumas that have been fused together with rabbits and they all that have their own different terrifying. abilities and stuff. They're adorable. Uh, you <laughs> know, I, I, if, if uh, you guys would have asked me when I first saw the rabbits, uh, if they were going to still be around in 2022, I would have said you were crazy. So, no, I did the same. I would have said the same thing. But over the years, I just have started liking them more and more. Okay. Yeah. I, I, as you just got on. A good rule of thumb, Tristan, with some of this stuff is kind of explain to everybody because you're kind of, you're selling it to everybody. That's true. Uh, what it is, like they've never heard of Mario or Rabbit and definitely not them together. Oh, that's true. If you could give us a brief history of Mario. Of and both and how far back am i going for the brief mario summer brief oh god he jumps okay there's coins what's not to get he's a giant turtle i i don't know if he's a turtle i think he's a koopa turtle dragon i think he's a koopa koopa turtle dragon okay well i'm i i'm happy you're liking it what's uh <laughs> What's what's well, you new can play the... as Bowser in the new game, so 
Yeah. Well, I could do that in Mario Odyssey, so what makes it any that's different? That's true. No, so you, that's a very fair point. Basically, one of the main draws of the Mario and Rabbit series is if you like more tactical kind of games, so like Fire Emblem and those kind of games. Yeah, I've heard it directly compared to XCOM. Yeah, XCOM's a good, good comparison. Because like the first game, it sets up that somehow they the rabbits ended up invading mario's world because of a an invention that a human created and them just screwing around with it and it ends up fusing it with mario's world and so they have to go around figuring out like how to undo everything and bowser jr is just making it worse by using the invention to create many more villains and that kind of stuff well, the sequel sets up, so it's right after it, so right after they beat the final boss, and it goes with um, them having to go into space to fight this new villain that's corrupting many planets and that, and just destroying them outright with the power of... Basically, the only way I can explain it, they call it Dark Mess with, with an M. And it just like destroys the light, destroys the ecosystems, just does all that. And your goal is to gather all the sparks that the villains are trying to get and saving these planets while trying to combat the new villain. So I think that's definitely a more interesting take on it. They definitely fix one of the biggest complaints I had with the first one is that they Rank, their ranking system depended one of the biggest rankings depended on how many turns it took to complete a specific section of the chapters and that just made me rage quite often because i could never do most of the challenges that they were expecting mm. but in this one you have you can take as many turns as you want it's all just trying to do the best that you can and it just I feel that it's a lot more clean control-wise, tactics-wise, all that. That sounds fun. It is. Okay, well, you know. I highly recommend it. Let's uh, let's all get together and <laughs> and play that. Yeah. Um, I think they have SharePlay, don't they, on the Switch now? I don't think so. Or something like that? I don't think so. That doesn't sound very Nintendo to me. To my knowledge, that's not a feature. Yeah. I think it's with the chat. I don't know. I've seen people do it online. I'll have to look and see how they do it. So our next spooky topic is Tepu. So Tepu? Huh? Is that the card game on the phone? No. Tepu is a manga um about japanese female mma um oh i i reached out to ben from the first episode we all know him you guys know him from one episode if you listen uh and james about this and what, regulation <laughs> what this is is this is a a sports manga 
about female MMA, and it's uh, it's really cool. Um, it does some really interesting things. Uh, first of which is talking about the niche female MMA scene in Japan. Um, for a lot of girls who are are uh, participating in any of like the tournaments or things, it gets into depth how like how rare it is to get this stuff and how important it is to do this because there's not the same type of MMA scene in Japan and there's certainly not the same type of MMA scene for uh, female uh, female MMA fighters and what that ends up doing is it creates a situation where when somebody loses in a fight like it's the end of the world for them like it will go to them and they're just in tears because this was probably going to be their one fight this year and they had their chance to prove themselves and it didn't go well um and i think that that's really cool especially with like a lot of shonen manga you have good happy anime boy who's first off not really ever gonna lose but when he does lose it's like i'll take this as a lesson to do better next time and it just seems a lot more real and like the stakes are a lot more high with a lot of the other things the other thing it does really well is the main character um she's not like your conventional uh manga girl she's really tall she's really lanky um and she's an asshole like she's set up to be a villain her whole reason for doing mma is she she's a very tall person and like for that a lot of like athletic things come very easy for her um and then at one point she meets up with this uh, girl who's talking about starting an MMA club. And, like, this girl sets up to be, like, your stereotypical, like, shonen protagonist. She's very happy. She's ha very go happy-go-lucky. And she just wants to fight. Um, and she tries to get in a fight with this girl expecting to beat her. Uh, and she doesn't. And her whole goal is to beat this girl so hard after learning MMA that she never wants to do MMA ever again. Um, and when you finally get to the point where like you get towards the end and you get to the reasoning why the main character is like that, it's actually like really compelling. Um, she's well written. Uh, and then it deconstructs the, the main character protagonist which is this other character who is set up as our antagonist. And people talk about how much she is very creepy for just wanting to fight and only smiling when she's fighting, that there's something off with her. It's really class. It's it's really good. And I definitely recommend if you guys can go and find this to go and read this. Sounds fantastic. It sounds like a good read. I, uh... I've been wanting to read, e or I've been wanting to watch Epo, but I haven't been in the right mind space for it. So I went and found Tepu, and I think Tepu was exactly what I needed. And it's it, one of the downsides I would say about it is 
it's about i want to say somewhere around 30 chapters and it ends because uh you know the japanese manga industry is uh not a good one and a lot of people have to quit because it's impacting their Horrific, mental health brutal place. oh yeah um <laughs> so the author ends up quitting um and he doesn't write anymore but he leaves it at the end of our main characters like you wrap up their story arc and there could be more but it's satisfying enough that you're like okay i'm fine with this good that's good um but yeah it's a it's a short read i i recommend it for everybody here johnny have you watched uh the secret base felix biederman documentary about mma no i haven't it's called fighting in the age of loneliness it's a lot about how uh the mma industry specifically the ufc is this kind of brutal half blood sport thing mm -hmm. that is designed almost specifically to destroy the fighters that participate in it uh it, it's it's kind of a history and potential look into the future of the thing it's very great I have it loaded up to send to you on a private message, but I don't want your computer to do a beep boop. <laughs> yeah, just uh, <laughs> I'll either ask later or we'll we'll facilitate this afterwards. Um, so our last topic is going to be Mother Three, and this is an instance in which uh, I know that the majority of people that are looking for like a video game slash entertainment podcast have heard of Mother Three, so. This is not like a recommendation for anybody else besides the people in this chat right now. Um, I love Mother 3, actually. Mother 3 um, is one of the best games I've ever played. Um, I know. <laughs> so uh, this is kind of an inside joke between me and my partner is she uh she was very kind to me and uh lent me a computer and the first thing i said was cool now i can start pirating stuff to play mother three and she was so mad at me and but for that's a... the only way to really play but the english it, version it of it is the only way to play the english version we'll get into that um also the only ethical way to play a video game it's true very true uh yeah. so uh every <laughs> day i would kind of dad. uh I'd kind of tease her and say, oh yeah, I've definitely downloaded Mother 3. Until that stopped becoming a joke and I definitely downloaded Mother 3. Um, <laughs> so, I'm maybe only a couple of hours into this game, but uh, I'm going to go into bits and pieces to because obviously Tristan knows about this. Uh, I also put this under the assumption that Ben would be here because I was going to sell him on this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give both uh james and danny a little bit of uh why they should play this because james and danny they like a lot of the same things but as far as games go they are people that look for two very different things james is a very story centered person you want to have a good that narrative will, in something um that will come up later in this very <laughs> podcast uh and danny is systems Danny likes a game. We've talked before about like Danny was the Souls guy. Danny likes a game. If you want to sell Danny on a game, you tell him about the systems in there, why it's compelling to play, and you get hands on. 
with Danny. When Danny feels something and he likes it, uh, he's like hardcore ride or die, get game tattooed on his forehead type of person. Make my brain work to hit those buttons right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you uh kind of a premise of of uh what mother three is. Um I will hop in every once in a while possibly. So you're familiar with the Earthbound series. You're familiar with what Earthbound kind of spurred in a lot of the indie games, such as like Undertale and things that have spurt like spun off of that. Um Mother 3 um the opening of this game starts out with what Earthbound, which would be Mother 2 starts out with. You're going in and you're naming your characters. So you get this uh really beautiful animation and it's this family. Um and it's these two t- twin brothers and you can name them whatever you want to name them, but I mean, for uh, actual si- sake, you guys know these people, uh, at least Lucas from Smash Brothers, and it goes in, and the big thing that's going on while you're naming these characters is a little animation is playing for each character. So the uh, first brother comes out, and he's very stoic, and he, he stomps into the scene. And the second, his twin brother, uh, comes out and he's following the older brother, but he trips and falls, and the older brother comes to pick him up. Um, this is such a good big brother. Um, next is, I believe, the dad, and the dad comes and he's very, he's very stereotypical. He's dressed like a cowboy, very like silent kind of, you know, big man's man. Um, and then the last character is uh the mom and it's the whole the both of the sons dragging her in and within that it establishes each one of these characters so amazingly um you name them and then there's pony though yeah and then there's your dog but i i'm trying to get into the importance of the story fair Um, enough so a big thing about about this uh, story is talking about family and community and um, it sets up this uh, this little village called Tazmili Village. This is a village in which everybody is there for everybody. I mean, you still have your same sort of thing where you have like the town gossip, you have, uh, you have all of these people, but everybody is very well established and everybody's friends and everybody is there to help each other out. Um, and the big thing that happens is in your first chapter, uh, you have a really emotional moment where a character has died. And in this is a Game Boy game. Within like the same sort of thing, they're able to express so much with these sprites that like you can tell how this death affects every single one of the characters that you name. Um, it's some of the best sprite work I've ever seen in a game. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's one of those things where, like, I take this with a grain of salt because I I, I cry about literally everything I see. This, this, I cried too. This death had me in tears, not because of how I felt about the character, but how you could see it affect every other character. So 
this is what this story ends up becoming. It's a it's a story about change. It's quite literally a story about like capitalism coming into a town that is about uh sharing and being a community like there's a point that somebody introduces money into the town and nobody knows what it is but people start becoming greedy and distrustful of each other because Mm -hmm. of it um it starts talking about like building (laughs) building infrastructure and it's like there's these old people who are in houses and they're living with their families and people start talking about oh you know you know i've heard in a few years they're gonna build this thing called a retirement center and we're gonna put you over there that's what people are saying and it's about these people coming in and basically changing this very family community sort of way of life and introducing concepts like that there's points where like there's beautiful castles that get destroyed in the sake of progression people stop talking to each other it's it's very very compelling and like I said, it, it it wouldn't be nearly nearly as sold as well without the amazing sprite work. Everybody has so much personality. The writing is amazing. Like, uh, um, you can go in and look at mirrors as the character, and it'll be like, uh, you know, a small little bit of dialogue. But like when you look into the mirror as Lucas, uh, it will be like, still looking handsome. Um, but then you'll go in and you'll look uh, look in the mirror as another character. His name's Duster. He's an old thief. And you look into it and it like James, do you remember when we used to talk about uh, Red Dead 2 and how like yeah. Arthur despite being like an amazing guy and a really talented guy, he was very self-defeating. Uh, yeah. Duster has the a best part of the whole game. Duster has a very similar thing where like he looks in the mirror and he's talking about how old he is and how uh, how his whiskers are getting gray and stuff like that. And it's just a little small bit of dialogue, but it's establishing these characters so well. Um, it's very good. I uh, I was going to play a song in here. I think I sent it to you and Ben as well. Um, it is the Magypsy song. Um, that's all oh, the Magypsy. Yeah. Uh, it's this amazing jazz soundtrack. Um, and, uh, it's so good. The music is so good. Okay, now I'm going to get into, uh, Danny's segment. Um, the gameplay is, like, a really compelling RPG. Have you ever dove into, like, an RPG? Are you a fan of those? Well, I have, I've been having this discussion kind of with myself and others, and, like, before, you know, you and Jimmy have tried to sell me on things like persona mm-hmm. and really it should be for me mm-hmm. but i think just the the way an rpg and like more specifically jrpgs mm-hmm. end up playing out like i don't i kind of don't mesh well with that you like system. the pokemans that's the one thing i do and that was like it's that mm-hmm. emotionally got hooks into me as a youngin so mm-hmm. so kind of, i think that, that works better i think i'll try to sell you a little bit it might be a little bit hard but uh, a big thing about this game is strategy. And I mean, that's a huge thing with a lot of RPGs. But if you, like, I play a lot of RPGs. I'm not good at a lot of RPGs. Um, but I can kind of 
get far enough by over leveling and just hitting and eventually like i'll brute force my way through um mother 3 has made me engage in its combat system a lot more so like every character has his own thing his own uh his own skills that he brings to the table you may be saying what makes that different than a regular rpg uh, not a lot but like the way that these things kind of intertwine um this is where like a lot of the analog to kind of compelling system driven stuff like undertale i think comes in a lot more um so let's go back to um the difference uh by the way i'm still relatively early in this game i'm playing as a little monkey named uh salsa um I he's great salsa. <laughs> salsa also has a really sad story um <laughs> salsa's whole thing is he is taken in by this uh this basically peddler um who great is sentence. is is one of the people who is trying to bring infrastructure and economy to this village um but this peddler is basically using this monkey to do all of his hard work for him um and uh he is threatening this monkey by uh he has kidnapped this monkey's girlfriend and he has threatened to kill the monkey's girlfriend if he does not listen also if he doesn't do everything exactly how he says he will zap him with a little electric collar which is uh a both equally funny and sad animation. Um, anywho, uh, I, I'm still early in the game, but within like, I want to say I'm like four, maybe six hours in. I still haven't played as Lucas besides like the introduction, um, which is bizarre to me for him being the poster boy. Like in Earthbound, uh, you're playing Ness immediately. Uh, but you play Lucas's dad. Um, his name's Cliff, I think. Um, Flint. And Flint. Okay. Well, some sort of rock thing. Uh, yeah. He is all about you are just trying to buff yourself to do the biggest, hardest hits possible. Um, the next person you play as is Duster. And Duster is a thief. And he has a bunch of thief tools. So, like, he'll have um, wall staples, which lets you lock an enemy into place. He also has, like, a, a, a smoke bomb, which makes the enemy cry so he can't hit you nearly as much. But the big thing that Duster has is a little hypnosis metronome. And this is where I find this game really compelling. Every enemy has a rhythm game built into them. Every enemy has a tempo that is going to corresponding to the song that plays when you fight them. To know that tempo, you can either guess around or you can use his little hypnosis thing and it will make their heartbeat and you'll get that tempo. What that lets you do is when you attack, if you start attacking in tempo with the enemy, you can go and do, I think up to a 20 hit combo. Which oh my makes, god! It's, makes, yeah, it's baffling how much you can get combo-wise with that. And but it's, it's a great mechanic. It's so fun. Um, making it where like, yeah, you can engage this game like a regular RPG. There are weaknesses. 
you eventually get magic that like somebody's weak to fire use fire or you can start engaging with the rhythm game and just destroy bosses and stuff like that just get away their health and that was enough for me to start trying to figure out what i can do to uh strategize to put people to sleep and start working on that and then eventually i got a magic user so i'd use duster as my rhythm game person and i would use my magic person to hit weaknesses and it that small thing added this crazy level of complexity to it um, that's so cool and i'll tell you the thing that already sold me uh quite ironically is just that capitalism angle like yes. i i love a story that's about that and i was a, a similar sort of game there was a I never get this fucking name right, but the Obsidian put out Outer... Outer Worlds. World? Outer yeah. Worlds. And so, yeah, like Worlds. Worlds is the one. Um, but that has, like, a pretty over-the-top and heavy-handed angle on that topic, I would say. And that, like, fits for me. But I was on the fence about it beforehand, and then it was like, oh, no, this game is going to have that feel. And I was like, awesome. And uh, it definitely delivered for me. And, like, that's the thing, like, it's, it's very, like, over the, over the head with, like, the capitalism, sort of, uh, industrialism, like, quite literally, the enemies are dressed up as pigs, um, and <laughs> I love the pig they, mask so they much. they are bro. coming in, and they are doing, like, Robotnik nonsense, and turning animals into machines, which is disrupting Robo -caribou. the, yeah, disrupting basically nature and everything there's also like another really cool thing is some of the most interesting enemy designs that i've seen because it's crazy it's like really cool um that's one of the shining things about jrpgs i think is that there's something about the japanese just makes really interesting designs oh and yeah. and the director of like the mother series uh he's all about making interesting designs because his whole thing that he wanted to do was get away from the normal fantasy RPG and make urban RPGs. So like, instead of getting swords and stuff, you're getting bats and and stuff like that. And you're putting like hats on too. Uh, uh, basically start uh, upgrading your people. And then as time goes on, reality starts shifting and it becomes like crazy, weird, surreal fantasy as opposed to medieval fantasy, um, which I always enjoy. And one thing I can definitely say about the enemy design in that game, because you haven't gotten as that far in the game, John, yet, but I can definitely say, like like I said, with Robo Caribou, I like, okay, robots and that kind of stuff. I was not expecting the game, to, the pig mask characters to go as far as they do with the character oh. design. I didn't, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but you will be baffled and somewhat horrified i mean like i'll oh. i'll spoil the end boss of uh of earthbound you're fighting a giant fetus it eventually turns yeah. into from like robo caribou to giant fetus and it's like yeah there's a lot of stuff and like i said there's there's a weird amount of depth because like i didn't expect the bag of money that gets introduced within like the second chapter to be as compelling and it's one of those things where checking in with everybody every chapter to see 
where they are with how much things are progressing and how you kind of sadly see uh, this community kind of fall apart with tradition falling out of the the wayside and like community falling out of the wayside where like you'd have two characters that were really close with each other and now they just absolutely hate and distrust each other uh, just because of the money that's involved yeah it's in like it's there's a lot of silliness there but like it's also like really sad to see that happen and mm-hmm. and like i said like the death that happens almost immediately um is is hard to watch how that affects not only all of the characters that you knew but the community as a whole because it's such a community centered uh uh world that you're in at the start um that even a small death can basically rattle that community and everybody has something to say about it there's like here's a question yeah what time period is it supposed to be set in? It's it's supposed to be in modern day. So like eventually, eventually you'll see like uh, cars and stuff like that. I think this is a lot more specific towards this village and how your characters deal with it. And a lot of what a lot of what it ends up becoming is it becomes this allegory for healing. Um, it's supposed to yeah. be like this feeling of similar to Berserk. The worst thing happening to you and coming through and eventually learning that there's things to love in life um but it's good it's it's really good you guys should definitely give it a try um it sounds fantastic you will have you to emulate it. <laughs> you will have to emulate it yeah that's, the, <laughs> um, that's, that's honestly the only way to play it in english yeah that's the Don, that's the I big come over and just like just play it on on the computer that does let you uh yeah i mean i also i i brought up the little device that's what i've been playing it on it's like a little small game boy if you guys ever want to look into getting one of those it's really good for emulation it it does really well up to like ps1 so that's how i've been playing it and like a bunch of pokemon games but like i'm really sad how i live my uh octobers is i'll do a bunch of spooky games and spooky movies so i've uh gotten into a lot more horror related stuff just like we're about to get into with our horror hour that doesn't go well how how are hour how are hour that's how we go i like how 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 hour um but like i've been putting this down because i play like maybe an hour every day um in favor of playing some horror games but i'm excited and keen to get back to it but now we're done talking about Mother 3. That game's lame and not scary at all. You know what is scary? Halloween! Cue the Halloween music. Oh, fuck. I did. Uh, I took it off of my. I didn't put it in this. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, you know what? <laughs> You know what sucks too? <laughs> I had the perfect segue to that because I mentioned Berserk already. Right. Uh okay. So we're gonna talk about Berserk. Um we've got two things to talk about Berserk. Um I'm gonna get like kinda real. Uh I, I feel like we keep it somewhat real, but uh 
this last year, um, and I mean everybody who knows about Berserk, um, knows about this. We lost uh the author of Berserk, Kintaro Mira, um, and I I know what a lot of people are gonna say. He's a person that we never met before, but like his loss had a really profound uh feeling on our group. Um I I, I would even say like just in media, the amount of people I saw mm-hmm. talking about him and I'm mm-hmm. sure maybe I was poisoned as like a mm-hmm. fan of Berserk, but the the outpouring for like Oh hit. yeah. Yeah. Insane. But like um for the longest time like we we all kind of bound Berserk together. It was something that Ben had brought into the group as like we watched the 1997 anime and like that was a big thing for us is we would sit down and watch it and like there's a really funny story there of like Danny coming in and being like okay guys uh I kind of spoiled the ending of Berserk for me and we still sat down and we watched it but like (laughs) but like the big thing was it was a really big thing for our group and especially like Danny Ben and I um about 3 years ago um I ended up moving to a different town than all of these people. I'm the only person that still doesn't live in that town and like that was a hard thing on me because I effectively moved to a place that I didn't know anybody. Um but you know despite all of that we were still tied together by sitting and every time a berserk chapter came out We'd sit and we talked about it. And like for me personally, that was a big tie to our group. That was a big thing of us connecting as friends with me feeling very far away. Uh, we still had that. And when and it's not even when a chapter came out, like the Korean scans, like we get a whiff yeah, of those we, and we drop whatever we're doing. Sit to immediately and, read it. And like, so many times we were playing games or watching a movie, and then it would just pause, and then everyone around me was just staring at their phones for like ten minutes, gasping. It it was it was a point that, <laughs> despite me being far, it still tied us together, and that's what Berserk kind of meant to me. And it's kind of funny with a lot of that stuff is, it it's about a group being together and growing close, and then kind of, you know, somebody setting off on their own. Um, and it, it, it messed with us something fierce. And I, I want to say that with all the sentiment, we, we are very sorrowed by the loss of Kintaro Mira. It's still something that like, even thinking about, I tear up about. And like I said, we didn't know the guy, but like his impact is felt in this group tremendously. His impact is part of our friendship and I just want to say that um so some of the things that have happened since then uh berserk ended in a beautiful way that was it basically became this kind of allegory for life it 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 became this sort of life sucks and going from one of the worst moments of your life to healing and you might never be the same after that, but you know, it, it, you have to go on and, and there's a lot of things that, um, we can't get super into with spoilers. Uh, 
but like it ends there um and then another chapter came out that they found that mira was working on and then it left on a weird cliffhanger uh yep. and in a weird way it was the om almost the most fitting end of we're gonna struggle through this forever aren't we since then um kintaro mira's uh closest friend has taken up the reins and has decided to basically end Berserk. He's uh, going off of what uh, Mira has said to him of how it's supposed to end. And uh, since then, I think, what, he's released three chapters? It's him and... Four. Uh, three, four. Uh, um, it's him and uh, uh, the old like assistants and editors all coming together because they feel like this is what they owe Berserk and Omira. And in a way, I think that that is really beautiful. And I think that that is something that is a hard thing to accomplish no matter what, because you're not Mira. Um, and taking up those reins, you're always going to be judged for not being Mira. Um, right. And you can feel Mira's absence. I, I won't mince that. But... I think that these last three chap, four chapters, uh, Danny, help me. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it where we are, it it's still thematic to Berserk. I think readers and people who have like a, a moderate amount of understanding, like we knew it was going to be different. We knew it wasn't going to be what it was. Like that's that is part of what's like written into the bones of Berserk. But it's still just like. Not, not great. <laughs> Things are disproportionate. Uh, character designs feel off. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to be critical of there, and it, it makes you feel bad that that that's how it lies. But you can kind of temper that with expectations. I would have been fine had we left it when he left us, so to speak, but. You know, we're, we're past that now. It seems. <laughs> that is very true. That All of that aside, I'm going to say this. Um, I think that in some of the ways, I think it's keeping with the spirit of Berserk. I think, I think in a way, it's rough around the edges, but there's still some Berserk there. Um, and, I mean, I can't say that all of these chapters have been any of my favorite chapters, but right. I don't think they've been bad. No, um, there's been highlights for sure, and mm -hmm. we've talked about those uh, outside of this context, and we can't necessarily get into it because of spoilers. But I'll just there's say there's still good stuff. I'll just say this to uh, anybody who knows anything about Berserk: um, the last chapter, uh, guts threw his sword down and said. I can't even trust you to do what I need to get done. Um, and I don't know if that's uh, more of a way to say how done Guts is right now. How emotionally drained Guts is that he can't even trust his own sword anymore. This dude has been sleeping with his sword since he was like literally a baby. And that's heartbreaking. Yep, we're just left to sit with that until 
God. I was afraid even when they just dragged him back on the boat, that four-man team carrying this lifeless dude onto a boat to leave yet again. God. I like how Guts has gotten people in his life now that are like, you can't let that man go in that room alone. He looks like a broken man. And then somebody if says, that thing goes berserk. <laughs> we finally got it, boys. They title dropped it in chapter 370 something. Jesus Christ. And scene. Overall. Hey guys, have you ever thought about doing a cinnamon? Uh, cin cinnamon? Cinema sins? Uh, cinema sins? <laughs> Every berserk? day. Uh, no. Speaking a of cinnamon berserk. No. Speaking of cinema sins. Um, Griffith is not giving me a lap dance in this scene. Ding. Ding. <laughs> speaking of cinema sins, let's talk about the next follow up <laughs> to this. I think to end kind of the thought on new berserk is it's a hard. It's a hard weight to hold, and Mori might be fumbling some, but he's still holding it, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to see this thing through to the end. Yep, struggle, rise. <laughs> Never stop struggling. Um, the next thing is, let's talk about the Berserk Memorial Edition anime. Um, so, Danny, if I were to say anything about the Berserk movies, what would you describe them as? Um, they serve their purpose, and it's a way to get the Golden Arc quick. Exactly. Get the Golden <laughs> Arc quick. What if I told you we have no time to do this quickly? Let's cut even more. What? How do you do that? <laughs> um... Well, I've got. We're at the end. So, for everybody who doesn't know, the Berserk Memorial Edition uh, anime is uh, basically they're taking the uh, three Berserk uh, Golden Age movies and they're cutting them into an anime. There has been talk that there might be more scenes added. So far, I've seen less scenes added. So, we'll see. Um, things that this thing has done well is uh, they are going and they are remastering some of the footage. Uh, mainly the CG um, in that first movie. That CG is a little rough, and it's a big difference of what a couple extra lines and some shadows will do. And for that, that's pretty good. Um, we are at the effectively the end of the first movie, um, three episodes in. Uh, Guts has maybe talked to Griffith maybe like once or twice. At best. <laughs> At best. We have to get what? through this fast. Um, Zod looks better. You're at Zod and they've <laughs> talked once? They've talked like, so Griffith said, I want you. And then uh, Griffith later came on and said, hey, don't take what Casca's saying too hard. And then the other thing he says is, I'm just the girl who can't say it enough. Um, can't say it at all. I, the other thing I want to talk about this is uh, I am, I am listening to the Japanese of this because it's coming out and the English hasn't been dubbed for it. And I've only listened to Berserk in English because 
Kevin T. Collins is my true Griffith, and everybody in that that uh, dub is exactly how I picture the characters talking. Um, yeah, it makes sense. The interpretation of Griffith in the Japanese is so weird. So, how so? Okay, next thing. Uh, Golden Age Griffith. Describe how you would describe Golden Age Griffith. What's his personality? What's he What's he all about? He's like stoic and sort of prideful, but uh, he's mostly there to... Uh, he's He's got a job to do in a lot of ways, I would say. Okay. Uh, James, how would you describe Griffith? Uh, I would say that Griffith is a like a desperate riser like he wants to show the world and most importantly himself that he is a major player and that he belongs to the top strata of society and he is willing to accomplish anything to do that mostly relying on the efforts of the band of the hawk named uh most importantly guts okay so i'm gonna give you everything you guys said you're absolutely right the last thing I'm going to give that I think is very paramount for Griffith as a character is he's kind of a bro. Like, yeah, he's, he's a great he, friend. He's a friend. What? Like, no, that's mostly for Guts, though, isn't it? Yes, but oh, I'm talking yeah. about specifically for that. He is a friend of Guts. He's like going around, he's making fun of Guts. Like, there's fight. a point where, like, bucket fight. Yeah, there's the bucket fight. There's the point where they go and they're looking at pictures in a book and he's teasing Guts about. I could lend it to you if you want. Um, oh, fuck. He's, he's, yeah. he's kind of a bro. Yeah, he's, that's about right. He's, what a he's, hero. He's a buddy, right? He's never done anything wrong. Um, Japanese Griffith, and this could be due to the insane, uh, insane quick pace we're going, um, has two things. He has Japanese, I'm very noble and very soft-spoken, and then he has... Uh oh yeah. Uh I'll cut a bitch if I have to. Um I, almost to I a, wouldn't say that's wrong. Yes. <laughs> Do they cut sounds, all the other stuff out though? But, he but, sounds so, more like Cersei Lannister, which so, I like. I like Cersei Lannister also. The big thing with Griffith, how I've always read Griffith, um, is Griffith is gonna do anything he can to achieve his dream. Um he's a bro and the big thing that you look at it as is there's many points in Berserk that you see Griffith as oh he just did something really bad but because like it's one of those things where it's like thank god he's on our side sort of thing you know like (laughs) there's not a point where I'm ever looking at Griffith that I don't feel like he's not showing himself completely to the band of the hawk you know like it's not like he's having an act around them. He's kind of acting around the King of Midland and everything, but he's not hiding that he's a bad guy, you know? I don't think, like... Like, there's not a point that he's not keeping that in the dark. The difference between Japanese Griffith and English Griffith is I feel like he's switching between the two like his act is fading like he'll say something that's weird that you're like what what did he just say instead of griffith just being a bro and then he says something you're like 
that's a little suspect, but he's on our side, so I don't really care that much about it, you know? Right. There's a that's point in the Golden funny. Age. It seems like a small point because uh-huh. it's just in the middle of a battle. Mm-hmm. But there's, uh, like, I think they're, like, going to Doldry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so his tactic is to take an entire unit and make them fight with their backs to this river mm-hmm. so that they fight harder. But, like, also, he's part of that unit. He's in mm-hmm. that group. Yeah. Relying on someone else. So, like, he's yeah. willing to. Another person talks uh-huh. about, like, wow, if this went wrong, like, they'd all die. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. But he's there for it. Like, he's willing to put himself and everyone mm-hmm. on the line to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems a lot like how how I read his voice seems very more, like, cold and calculating. And then his stoic act is an act. But how I read the English uh, Griffith is cold and calculating, stoic, and a bud are all who Griffith is. There's not an act. He just plays the role he needs to at the point he needs to play it. You know? Yeah. So, that was a little weird. Anywho, I teased it, like, maybe an hour ago before we started talking about uh, uh, Berserk. But let's get down to the hour hour. See, I've been practicing saying that in my mind this whole time. So let's talk. (laughs) Let's talk about what's more spooky in spooky season than the thing that makes spooky season spooky. Halloween. I watched Halloween. I watched John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes. Um. And then I watched Halloween 2018. Um, you guys familiar with these two movies? Uh, I've seen the Red Letter Media breakdowns on those and their new um, <laughs> blanket review of the most recent one, which is awesome. But... So I haven't seen any of that. So we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about yes. Halloween and yes. Halloween. I've, I've just seen bits and pieces of probably the first one, and that's about it. I have seen Halloween 3. Uh, season of the witch. Okay, sweet, swell, awesome. <laughs> uh, so first Halloween movie. Uh, it's Chef's Kiss. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's sloppy. It's great. Um, a lot of things that the first Halloween does really well is it makes Michael Myers. Um, it makes Michael Myers like he's set up to be this sort of threat that feels like it could be your neighbor he he's this unknowable threat you know like that sort of anonymity to him also gives that sort of like he could be anyone that really makes him spook and i think what really works well in the first halloween movie is um not only is john carpenter directing it so there's some really great great uh choices as far as like lighting scene composition but uh michael myers for the first part of the movie literally is just spending time like going around and stalking uh uh laurie strode um and it makes him like a weird guy in this imposing thing of a man who's like obsessed with somebody for no actual reason um 
despite he's the first person he sees after he gets out of the uh, mental asylum. Um, and that makes him a really, like, really threatening thing because there's points in that movie that, like, he'll kill people and he will put them and display them for Lori uh, as a specific thing of, I'm displaying them for you. Um, and it makes it a really compelling, threatening uh, character because of that. Uh, another great thing is he becomes this sort of entity where despite what you do to him, he doesn't stay down. And even at the end of Halloween, you have him shot out a window and you look down and he's gone. And then it just ends with uh, Laurie Stroud just screaming. And that's the end of the first Halloween movie. It's genius. It's like, it's setting up this like fear of this fear will always be there. Um, and it creates this sort of trauma for Laurie. Um, there's some weird like <laughs> Predator 2 parallels where uh, yes. the yes. the mental uh, asylum doctor that's been hunting Michael uh, spends the majority of the movie hanging out at Michael Myers' house, waiting for him to yes. come back. He doesn't come back. Um, oh, and he back. just happens upon the last scene at the uh, end of of the movie to shoot Michael. <laughs> he's just walking. And he's like, "Oh, I guess something's happening here," which is very Predator Two because the main character of Predator Two, uh, he doesn't. He's not hunting the predator. He just happens to be in the same place the predator is a few times. Well, well, you know, he's. John, remember the first scene? The LAPD is outmanned and outgunned. <laughs> it's Predator. I will not hear any slander about Predator. I 2. love Predator too. <laughs> it's the third best Predator movie. It is definitely the third best best Predator movie. Fourth. Fourth. Oh, predators. God. God, I hate Predators. Don't even. You hate no, Predators. Let's not talk about this because I will not shut up. Do you not like Adrian <laughs> Brody? I hate Predators so much. Moving on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we can agree the first two oh, is is Predator and Prey, right? Yes, absolutely, yes. in Perfect. that order. Got you. Oh. Thank you. Prey is really good. We should talk about Prey sometime. Oh, yeah, we should talk about... That was in the uh, Dark Ages between podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we consume so much media that I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, next thing, Halloween 2018. Um... There's some Even things. Better. There's some things I like about this movie. Some things I really hate about this movie. Uh, everything that I said about the good characterization of Michael Myers, um, throw it out the window. Um, instead of him being a man obsessed with a person he saw once, he spends the majority of the movie walking from house to house, just killing people randomly. That's not very Michael Myers. Okay. Um, no. What I do like is uh, the whole premise of 2018 is Laurie Stroud uh, had a really bad Halloween night like 50 years ago. Um, that's not true. It's 40 years ago. I know that for sure. I don't know why I threw 50, but that was 10 years off. Um, and she has been traumatized since then. So she spent her whole life living in fear, teaching her children how to defend themselves just in case, you know, another weird Michael Myers attack happens, um, which what are the odds of that, though? which, like, it has this big, high, I would say. big theme of inherited trauma. Uh, one of the best things of 
which BoJack season is it? Is it three or four? The premise of the series. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> inherited trauma? Yes, like inherited the, yeah. trauma. Things that you will never really understand. Um, Lori has been basically robbing her her children and grandchildren of being able to live their lives because she lives in fear um, to the point that a lot of the shots, the iconic um, Halloween shots are now framed with Lori instead of Michael Myers because she is the villain of everybody else's life. She is, she is the fear that is created in their lives. And I thought that was genius. Plus at the end, they have a big granddaughter, daughter, and Laurie Stroud team up to kill Michael Myers and burn him in a house. And that was really cool. Why did they make two other movies? That's all I got. Awesome. Okay. Are those Rob Zombie? No, this is a different person. I haven't seen the Rob Zombie movies. Why didn't we watch Monsters? That would have been perfect for this. (laughs) I did not watch. Well, okay, if we want to take a... How long is it to watch the Monsters? Any time is too long. If we just take uh, a quick, I, I will, I will stop the recording right now, um, and let's uh, take maybe a day or two to go watch all of the monsters and come back. I I would love to <laughs> do that. Do I'm that. a big Rob Zombie I, head, I guess. But if we do that, I gotta warn you guys: don't hug me. I'm scared. This is the topic that won't stay dead. Why nice. do you want to talk about yeah. this, Danny? What what do we have to cover on this that James didn't say last time? Is it because James found it delightful and you want to like I... fight him for that? Did you not know that there's a new like six episodes released for British television? Oh my god, I Excuse didn't. Me? Yeah, no, it's fucking awesome. Holy shit, yeah. John, it's more fun than ever before. <laughs> what? Well, tell me about it. Yeah, so I want to hear more about this. They're all like twenty-minute actual episodes, and so you've got you know the same sort of premise. You've got uh, Jimmy has fucking fan fiction names for them, but you've got red guy and yellow guy and the duck, uh, and they're in. He didn't even call the right name. The familiar green guy. He's not the green guy. He's a duck. You're right. His name's David. (laughs) Regardless. They're in that same set. They've got like this. There's like a. You see the outside of it at the opening to each of the episodes now. And it's this pink house. And they've got the two rooms, the kitchen, and like a living room. And then uh, they learn about things. People come and tell them about a, a concept. And and then that's uh that's how the the story goes. Okay. So uh, the big question I have for you is uh. Does this have the Metalocalypse approach, like, uh, effect where Metalocalypse really only worked as, like, 11-minute episodes, and when you stretched them out to 30-minute episodes, you kind of lost a little bit of the joy? Uh, 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 uh. John, they nail every minute of it. It's it, it, The production value is exactly where it needs to be. Like, they, they do everything that they were doing before, but now it's, like, syndicated. Like, that's the only difference. Much, and it's still amazing. How much longer is it per episode? I, it's roughly sometimes two to four times as much content as they were serving out before. Interesting. I think and they're even. I think they're in even 24 minutes. I, yeah. I guess what you could do really well with this is 
a lot of times you introduce a concept and you have these characters kind of go through an existential crisis of learning about this concept and you really oh, they only, do that you really only <laughs> have the start of that with a lot of them and it's like haha it's funny because it's scary and then you get to see yeah. the impact of it immediately i imagine this can go a little bit more long form and see how this really affects the characters i think the cycle is we have that exact same moment it's a little further down the line and then we have the other two characters react, which is nice. That's a new, oh. I think that's newer in the format. It's like how... And then we have the push past it. Okay. <laughs> and We have the compartmentalization and the denial. The only thing that I could say that would make this series perfect, um, just hearing the sound of it, is that like they release an hour-long movie, and it's not scary, right? It's just each character having to deal with they've packed all of this and compartmentalized all of this to move past it and how that that degrades them emotionally and deal with like how psychologically <laughs> they, they can't okay. deal. Like, you know how how the bad thing happens in Bojack and then we have a whole nother season <laughs> afterwards dealing with the ramifications of that? That's uh -huh, what I yeah. want. I want the ramifications as its own season i don't That's want them awesome. to introduce anything else i just want the the fallout conceptually i think that would work and i this is something we talk about a lot when it comes to media and like especially our favorite pieces of media um i think a lot of people might complain about these longer episodes and about like if it has tone issues you know because you go back and forth with oh they're doing the thing and they're learning and then, you know, a really dramatic event happens, and then you go back to normal, and it's like, what the fuck? Uh, if you tried to make that the hour long, I think you'd almost be in, like, an Evil Dead situation <laughs> with how the, the tone goes back situation. and forth. <laughs> Evil Dead straddles the line of tone, and it's fantastic. It's better for it. It is. You know me, I'm a long-term believer in tone problems are not a problem. Uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared has... It's so departed from that. Okay. It doesn't believe in tone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with that. That's absolutely <laughs> Can I ask where you that's... guys are watching this? No. Okay. That's illegal. You have your sources. Yes. Okay. Well, You can it... find it. We could even send it yeah, to you personally. Somebody could potentially give me a source so we can oh. all watch this TV show very legally I would be yes. very excited and I want to uh, tell you my thoughts on the next episode you got it awesome cool that sounds like I'm 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 kind of I'm gonna end this podcast now so I can go watch that sort of excited for it it's that good it's but really that good the problem is is I'd be bouncing between that and a new all-time favorite show for me. You, you hockey. Oh my God, guys! Dragon Ball is garbage compared to you, you hockey show. 
such a good series. Uh, it is so good. This is another uh, show slash manga that I must say, disclaimer, uh, it ends kind of poorly because uh, the author uh, is very emotionally and mentally sick slash uh, is very physically sick. And somehow... It keeps happening. I yeah, wonder why. Somehow this man uh, decided, you know, Yu Yu Hakusho really did a lot for me. What if, what if I just start Hunter Hunter and then got into the same situation <laughs> again? Yeah. Yeah, that did happen. How, how did the guy who made Hunter x Hunter, how is he making a second thing? Well, no, this is... Uh, Flip it. Right. No, this was first. Flip it. This right. is the right. first thing. I get that. Oh, how did that person have time to? I imagine that. I think. That had I think it got like better. I. He. <laughs> uh, you you I think started in the nineties, and you kind of did. You really feel it. Um, your two main uh, your two main characters. There's a lot of main characters, but the two people that have my heart the yeah. most are, uh, Yusuke Yurameshi and uh, uh, Kuwabara. Um. They yeah. are dressed up as no, as Japanese greasers, and they are the best. Kuwabara is voiced by uh, Chris Sabat, um, voice of Vegeta, and yeah. yeah. Oh my God, he's my favorite character to exist in anything. Kuwabara is just great. He is so good. Like <laughs> the point, his whole thing is like he's a lot more. Oh. I should probably talk about what Yu Yu Hakusho is because I just gave the rule of uh, what this is. So Yu Yu Hakusho is a show from the 90s, which uh, we covered, um, slash it was a manga from the 90s, about a a boy who um, ends up dying and he, uh, he has to do a bunch of trials and tribulations to become, to come back in li- alive. And when he comes back alive, he uh, he is now what is called a spirit detective. So he basically hangs out with uh, the the prince of the underworld, and he has to solve a bunch of crimes so the prince of the underworld doesn't get in trouble by his dad and get spanked. Um, I love the fact that he's just the errand boy. It's so oh, yeah. great. Um, so it starts out it, obviously very silly, um, and all of the voice cast is like you know old Funimation voice cast and the best thing about it is this is a 90s anime which um back then I've talked about this um before that like the 90s had such a different approach to how they went and translated things that's the difference between um translation and localization you know a lot of a lot of anime now which why when i talk about a lot of my favorite anime it's like stuff from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s um when it brought things over a lot of times they didn't have a script they kind of just went off of things and like there's a lot of fun and you can feel that fun in the room and they're they're localizing things and like where um um where like you'd have a very translated thing um where yusuke who's like kind of a bold boy um would say like well if i don't do this i'm gonna owe a thousand apologies 
um, he'll come in and he'll, he'll be like, well, if I fuck this up, a lot of people are going to kick my ass. And it like does so much <laughs> for the character. And it's like, it's, it's great. And there's a lot of good Kuwabara lines for that. Um, so Yusuke got to go solve a bunch of things. He gets his friends to help him, two of which are uh, demon boys. Um, Kie, who is like this thing's Vegeta, and then Kurama, who is a pretty fox boy. They're all, everybody's great. Um, and then the last one, the person I keep talking about, Kurabara, who is uh, the second strongest kid at the school, but he always gets beaten up by Yusuke. Um, <laughs> and he is basically his rival, even though he's never won against Yusuke at all. Um, and Kurabara is a nice, strong, tough man that also really loves cats. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love him. Uh, there's a point that when Yusuke is trying to come back, uh, he he possesses Kuwabara to try to tell his girlfriend um, something. And then Kuwabara turns back and the girl slaps him. And Kuwabara's like, I probably deserved it anyways. <laughs> and it's yeah, great. It's so good. Some... Um, it's all funny. He's it's just... all great. The best thing about it is Yusuke is a very strong boy and he's a very shonen protagonist. But the biggest thing mm -hmm. about Yusuke becoming stronger is Yusuke has a lot of emotional problems that he tries to compartmentalize and ignore. And the only way for him to get stronger is to realize that... Uh, he's had a tough life because his mom's a drunk that doesn't ever really come home. He doesn't have a dad in his life. Um, and he's just kind of, he's kind of sad all of the time. Uh, this show is so good. And like one of the best things I could say about it is like, <sighs> you should go and especially when you get to the dark tournament, you should see the wide difference of like animation, like styles that it gets into for the nineties that like it will go into different styles to uh convey different things um there's an episode after a character dies and everybody has to kind of deal with that character's death and how they animate it is everything seems very loose and very like kind of floaty because nobody is acknowledging that this happened and oh it's so good i I wish I had like more, more critical things to say about the show. It's good. Watch it's it. hard to come across those for that show. It's so, so. I good. grew up watching that show. Yes. It was my favorite for years. Yes, I watched a lot of it growing up too, and coming back to it has been it just so much better. So great. <laughs> um, there's a lot of voices you'll recognize. Uh, PA is voiced by Android uh, is it 17 or 18? 18? I always get confused between the two. Um, 18's the girl, so it's 17. So 17. Um, Yusuke's Justin Cook, and I love Justin Cook. Uh, I think I, I'm Kuwabara having is, uh, 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 is uh, Chris Sabat, and Yusuke's girlfriend, Keiko, uh, voiced by Laura Bailey, baby. Yeah, there. I'm in. Gotta love Laura Bailey. Okay, so I'm trying to go like fast so we can get to our 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 end. Um, let's get to the void. Uh, boys, 
you like Lovecraft. Yeah. yeah. Not as a person because he's a horrible racist. But No, also the, no, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Jesus but, uh, Christ. He uh he introduced a really cool concept of the unknowable driving you crazy and that being the the horror things that are so beyond our comprehension. Um that's your your horror. So this is a movie about that. But it first starts out as a movie about uh, a cop finds a junkie and he takes him to a hospital. Um, it sets up all of these characters uh, trapped in this hospital because when they get there, it turns out this junkie was part of a cult experiment and the cult is outside and nobody leaves this hospital. So what do we do? We got to figure out how to get to the bottom of the hospital. Um, there's oh. some real good uh, body horror Cthulhu monsters, like the monster design, uh, all of, I must say this too, all the monsters are practical effects, which is great. Um, yeah, that is great. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, the other great thing is the villain of this movie is played by a Mr. Kenneth Welsh, um, for those in the know, and this is what kind of drove me to this movie, those in the know. Kenneth Welsh is the man who played the villain of season two of Twin Peaks, Mr. Wyndham Earl himself. And at first, the start, he plays an unassuming doctor and eventually he becomes a very assuming doctor who's trying to conquer death. And uh, when he's an unassuming doctor, you kind of look at there and there's been a lot of years since season two of Twin Peaks and this movie and you're like, is that him? And like, he seems really nice. As soon as he switches over to his villain, uh, thing he's doing the Wyndham Earl voice, which is great. Um, the worst thing about this movie is a lot of the things they try to set up is uh, um, is like these really these characters going through these personal losses and like making a lot of things they're dealing with that personal loss. You don't spend enough time for uh, any of those with any of those characters to not make it feel hollow. So. <laughs> A lot of good things in this movie probably could have used maybe an extra hour. Um, this seems like a lot going on. Uh, yes, it is a lot going on, but time. you know, it's a fun watch. If you're looking for something spooky and you want to see really good monster designs and you want to see uh, a villain being a villain, I recommend this. So the next thing we're going to talk about is... I watched Hocus Pocus 2, but to set up for Hocus... I'm really not throwing out any <laughs> transitions of this one. I'm just trying to go real fast. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2, we watched Hocus Pocus 1 to prep ourselves. Um, what do you guys think of Hocus Pocus 1? I watch it every Halloween, so it's a family staple for me. Yeah, there's a, like a lot of love for the first Hocus Pocus movie. I could definitely, honestly, I was a little bit surprised that they were going for a second one at first. Yeah, I mean, but I'm not. The because that's are the, there. That's the thing that we do now. We just we pull up nostalgia and either remake something or uh, we we make a sequel Extended. to a long thing. That's how Which it has sometimes, to work. Sometimes it's yeah. good. Sometimes it's bad. Um, Otherwise, the money goes away. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about Hocus Pocus two, and in talking about Hocus Pocus 2 I'm also going to talk about Hocus Pocus 1 because I think 
Th like these movies, surprisingly, I, I, I think they succeed in very different ways. I like Hocus Pocus too. Crazy, I know. Okay, let me weave you a little, sense. a little tale. Um, Hocus Pocus. Uh, everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. I've always been kind of on the fence with it. I think it's fun. Um, I'm excited every time I get to see Bette Midler in anything, but you know, yeah. Um, I, I, at this point, it's iconic. Uh, whether you love it or hate it, it's iconic. The thing that I will say about Hocus Pocus One, I don't know the actual anything about Hocus Pocus One, um, besides like watching it. I don't know if it was a Disney movie when it started or if it was just a movie that was made. I think that it. I think it was a Disney movie when it was made. I think if Hocus I'm Pocus One does that. really well with uh, it being a horror movie for teenagers, like. The best thing I can say about Hocus Pocus 1 is like in its writing and in its concept, it, it it is really respectful for teenagers. It's not like a teenager movie made by an adult who thinks they know what a teenager is. It's just like this teenager's doing teenager things. Like there's a point that they talk about yabos. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, that's weird. I didn't expect that from a Disney movie. Um, but like it, it respects that, and it makes, it makes the Sanderson sisters seem very intimidating and very like, uh, almost like an intimidating uh, Three Stooges act. And I'm okay with that. And I think there's a I lot can of definitely see that. I think there's a lot of charm. I think that uh, the best thing about that movie, and the thing that I'm always excited to see, is uh, the Zombie Man is played by. Uh, Doug Jones and Doug Jones shout out to Doug Jones probably one of my favorite actors ever uh for everybody who's not in the know Doug Jones is uh the the man who acts with prosthetics on you know him from such things as everything Guillermo del Toro makes he is the fawn yeah. he is ape sapien he is the fish man from uh 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 what is that movie called? Why can't I remember it? Help me, James. Thick water? Thank you. Water. Um, Doug Jones. Recently. We should talk about that. I love that oh, movie. Great. Oh, great. No, Shapes of Water is great. Um, yeah. So, uh, all of that is really cool. Um, I don't think that that movie's singing a lot. It's just kind of slocky, I guess. Which in one? some sort of way. Hocus Pocus 1. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, I thought you meant... Shape of the water. Shape of water is saying a lot about uh, marginalized, we have, uh, we marginalized people and like disabled people and like people who are not the majority in society and how people look at love at that. With that, um, great movie. We should talk about that. Should be a separate episode too because I've got a lot to say about Shape of Water. Hocus Pocus too. Um, this is a Disney movie. A hundred percent. A lot of Disney jokes, a lot of dialogue that's written as they're talking to the audience. Like, you know how Disney slash Marvel movies, uh, people are delivering uh, dialogue to the audience as opposed to the other characters on screen. Right. It's yeah. like everybody's trying to get the best line out and like kind of be like, haha, did you see how funny I am? Um, 
the Sanderson sisters, uh, where before they were an intimidating force, uh, now are set to be only a Three Stooges act. They're a fun Three Stooges act. I like when they're Three Stooging all over the place, but they are a Three Stooges act only. Um, that being said, Hocus Pocus 2 has the theme of uh, family, sisterhood, um, finding your coven, and I thought that that was really sweet. There is a lot of um, same sort of thing of like being outcast in society and finding your people, and just because those people change doesn't mean they're not your people, um, and protecting those people. And I thought that was very, very sweet. There's a lot of there is a lot of like sisterhood literally with the coven and uh where i would say uh hocus pocus one is very anti-witch like witches are scary and uh wicca is scary hocus pocus two is very like no there are bad witches and there are good witches and believing in other religions is perfectly fine just do you boo boo and i think that's really sweet it's definitely like a one. good message, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm continuing to run through all of these things. I would say if uh, Hocus Pocus 1 is like maybe a low 7, I would say Hocus Pocus 2 is a high 6. Cool. Let's <laughs> get into our last topic before we get into our final topic, the final scare. We're going to talk about Creep. Has anybody seen Creep? No. Like the, the song? Radiohead? <laughs> yes, have you seen the song Creep? <laughs> no. Sure. Okay, so I think this is a very interesting movie. Not because it's entertaining, but because how it exists. Creep is a found footage horror movie. Um, and I'm going to run you through all of this, and I'm sorry for spoilers for Creep. Um, it is, uh, it starts out with a videographer who is going down to this house to make a quick buck because he's low on money. And it's a dude who's like, Hey, this is this amount of money for the day. This is all you need. We'll, we'll do this. And that's it. We don't worry about it. So he shows up to, uh, this house. He, uh, He's going up to the house. He knocks on the door. Nobody answers. He goes back down to his car. He's like, I'll sit and wait because I really need the money. I drove all the way out here. And then uh, a man jumps up from behind, up from like underneath his car and scares him. Um, and he lasts for a lot while. And I thought that was admittedly funny. Uh, so <laughs> um, this guy reveals he's hired him. He wants to have him film him for the day because he and his wife are pregnant and he has, uh, he is a cancer survivor, but they have also found, uh, uh, a lump on his brain and they've given him maybe a month to live. So he wants to do a movie for his, uh, his child. So his child, if he doesn't beat this, can see what his dad was like. Um, so the uh the day goes on um this man literally just keeps finding different places to hide and scare this other man 
And once again, I always find that admittedly funny. It it never it never uh <laughs> it never stops being funny to me. And I understand no, that Platinum I have a, lever, never loses its luster. I have a uh, a bad sense of humor, so bear <laughs> with me. Um, as time goes on, this guy starts asking increasingly weirder and weirder questions. Turns out this man wasn't actually dying. He just wanted to lure this man over to uh, um, his house to uh, to get to know him. Because guess what? He's a serial killer, and the his mo is he likes to get really personal with uh, his victims before he kills them. And guess what? He uh, he also uh, has built up a really good relationship with this guy, but also ruins it in the same night. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> so, uh... Just to be best friends. Basically, he, he gets to the... The rest of the movie takes place. There are like two locations in here um maybe three maybe four let's say four locations in here uh the rest of the thing takes place at this guy's house as he's getting like increasingly uh more worrying and worrying messages from uh this guy who who he thinks is gonna kill him um and like there'll be good points where like he puts the camera down uh, because he goes in here something and you'll see at the front door the guy's like standing out there and then he'll go and hide um, and then later there's a point where it's in the middle of the night and he like comes in and cuts his hair because the camera's still rolling and everything um, anyways at the end he kills him and and then the reveal is he's putting away a tape with the person's name on it and there's like 30 other tapes cool ruin the whole movie <laughs> for you um this is a movie that has such a big sort of like college film feel. It's two characters. Yeah. Um, it's four locations. It's this guy's house and this guy's house. And then they go out into nature. Um, the part that I find interesting about this is this was originally set up to uh, be filmed as a comedy between these two characters. Um, it's these two guys are the directors and writers of the movie and it is set to be a, a huge like they were going to do a comedy that was meant to be like a creepy comedy um, and they were improving every scene so I guess writers doesn't really help because they're just making it up but I guess that's some form of writing right um, yeah yeah so they got this together right and uh, there was a different ending originally and they show it to a bunch of friends and all these friends are like oh this is kind of scary this is kind of unnerving so then they retake the last ending with him actually killing him at the end um, and then watching the video over and then putting it in his thing and it's now a cult classic horror movie bizarre I just thought that was a really interesting thing I don't like the movie Oh. <laughs> not a recommendation. Um, not good. There's a Everything lot of movies you just that said sounded fantastic. How did that not come together? Didn't put. I mean, okay. So this is something that has rated really well. It's also part one of a three-part series. Third one is being made now. So other oh, people okay. like it. I, my interpretation was okay. 
That's a terrible poster. I will say this. Every time that man hides in a different place and just jumps out and scares this guy, it's always funny. Yeah, he goes spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, he goes spaghetti. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. Like, I've watched a few horror movies uh, this spooky season that, like, I just kind of hated. But they were reviewed really well. And, like, I don't think I hate this. I would say I find it interesting. I don't think I like it though. <laughs> if that makes hey, any I sense. Hey, I think uh, it's got the one of the lead guys from uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, that uh, Aubrey Plaza sci-fi movie. Oh, is that a good one? I like that movie a lot. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. It's not spooky, so I'll recommend it to you November first. Okay, yeah, that's when I'm <laughs> back to regular media. <laughs> yeah, you can watch real movies again. Yeah. Okay, so. Before I lead into the next one, I'm going to do a cut point at 2.03, um, which doesn't help me because I have to listen to this anyways. What am I doing? I'm losing my goddamn mind. Just write it I'm down. Doing. Um, I'm Wait, gonna let's go... not skip the thing, though. I love the thing. Oh, I deleted the thing. Oh, so I put... <laughs> we'll talk about the thing. Um, okay. Can I go get water first? <laughs> Because I've been you talking didn't about with water. Come on, I, you, I've, you, you water water. I'm honestly beginning up and down. Honestly, I, I walk in the, I come into the chat. I, John's here. I'm, he's like, I've got water, and I'm like, I've got my whole setup. I got lots of things I going on. I did have here. water, water Danny. I've been the and, only one talking for the last I, four subjects. Dad, I'm gonna be honest with you. During the last like six subjects, I was laying down on my bed. I was snug as a bug. Okay. I just don't know why you didn't bring enough water as the host. Yeah, I that have is like, a good I have this statement. big cup, but I'm, I'm pretty hydrated. Don't agree with him, Tristan. I will. <laughs> I can do this podcast <laughs> by myself. I have enough archival footage of all of you talking that I'll recreate all of you. Don't tempt me. Um, you know, I've been thinking lately. What you been thinking? About our next topic, it's called The Thing. What's The Thing? The Thing is, Danny. Thinking that thinking. member of the Fantastic Four, you know. The yeah. Thing is, Danny. A beautiful, beautiful John Carpenter film. This is uh, the second John Carpenter film on our list. Um, You've been watching it? I've been watching it? I watched it about like a year ago, but it's always playing in my head. I once read uh, this post about this kid who uh, who could watch Shrek in their head. <laughs> I well, referenced that post one week. <laughs> and uh, like it was just this whole thing that they had watched Shrek so much that they could watch Shrek in their head and they'd go on like family trips and like the dad would be like, where where are you, son? And he would describe perfectly because he was actually watching Shrek in his head. And that's what I do with the thing. That's amazing. So I'm due for a rewatch because I just think it's really good for the season to do the thing and Evil Dead 2. Just go back and watch them again because those are really those, some of like, yeah. my favorite. I don't think I've seen two, the thing in years. Two of the best horror movies to ever exist. I don't and, think I have watched it, but I could be wrong. Um, Kurt Russell. Uh, starts out playing chess with a computer 
and he loses, and he pours, I think, alcohol into the computer yeah. and kills it. And that's the start of this movie, and it's great. There's other starts to this movie, but that's where that movie starts in my mind. On my mind, it starts in the snowfield with the helicopter chasing the dog. I think that's the actual start of the movie, so okay. okay. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm, I haven't watched this movie. Just hearing the beginnings is just confusing the hell out of me. Yeah, so, that's fine. So You've the never setup... seen a helicopter chase a dog? <laughs> All I can imagine is just a helicopter just chasing a dog while a man just dumps alcohol onto a computer. Yeah, yeah that's it. exactly that's what happens. Same, is that like the same the time frame? You are watching the thing in your head, buddy. And it's a great place to be. <laughs> scene, follow scene, follow scene. You're doing it. You're doing it. I'm um, playing it in my head. Continue. So the thing is like the perfect horror movie because it sets up. It, it, it starts out with. Helicopter, dog, something is afoot, you know, like you you see this and not everything is as it as it seems, you know? Something is going on. Um... Nothing? Nothing from anybody? You're really hard to hear. Oh, like sorry. You're bit, yeah, you're you going, going in and bit. out. Okay, is this better? Uh, Much. keep trying. Okay. Like check, check, check. I've been able to read him. I don't know what's up with you guys. Okay. You guys, just turn me up. We talked about this. You are. You're maxed what out, What do I bro. do that? Oh, how do I do? Let me uh, turn you, turn me up, turn me up. My beautiful boy, you were at one, you we were good? at one ninety. Can you hear me? I can uh, hear you fine. That actually, can you hear me? Cut out. Okay, well, I can hear him fine now. What a it shame. Does not sound like a John issue. Yeah, I, I. Everybody else sounds great. Well, that does sound like a me issue, then, doesn't it? Damn, you're breaking, John. Well, if <laughs> if somebody can within seconds of me saying something, repeat it back to Jim <laughs> so he can... <laughs> I'll be your echo. Okay, so... Okay, so... And you failed instantly. Oh, damn it, that was a test. Okay, um... So, I'm gonna start so, where I left off. Stop it. What? You just said to do the thing! <laughs> We're talking about the thing! Okay, let's be talking about Oh my god, a dog. He's <laughs> <laughs> getting chased by that helicopter. Okay, so the thing is... um, You want me to do it or not? <laughs> the, no. The, the bit is over, Danny. The bit is over. Uh, I don't know oh, what the bit is not. I thought we were in technical difficulties podcast now. <laughs> We can be. Do you remember how our first episode started with Skylar just popping up out of nowhere? We just rolled with that. I don't think fine. it's ever not been a technical difficulties podcast. Uh-huh. And knock on wood, I've been very proud of myself because every episode we've recorded, I've slammed my chair into my computer and turned off the computer <laughs> mid-recording. <laughs> Haven't done that yet. Night's still young. We have the thing to talk about and edge runners. That's going to take at least three more hours. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that needs to be its own episode. Anyways. Yeah, it's this one. We're cutting oh, the rest of this. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. You're right. You're right. 
Okay. <laughs> so this is all icing. So. The thing is like the perfect horror movie because the first the first scene you see is helicopter dog perfect combination and something is wrong. You know? Like it, nothing it, builds drama like a vehicle that shouldn't be chasing a dog chasing a dog. Well, like yeah. <laughs> it's a drunk computer. What do you expect? It's a drunk computer. Uh but like so Eventually, we get to point A to point B. They let this dog into their base, and it's the worst thing they could have done. And uh, we set up the premise, and the thing is a shape-shifting alien creature that sets up the perfect scenario for a horror movie. Literally, everybody could be the monster. Oh, now I... Okay, now Mm -hmm. I know what we're talking about. The thing is yeah. the thing. Um, Still haven't watched it, but I know exactly. There is some amazing body horror in this. Talk about, like, the thing is also, like, Cthulhu uh, Lovecraft nonsense as well. And It's the best puppets I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, it's, I'm just looking at the images right now, and they look pretty impressive. It's, it's John, which, which body horror do you like more? Do you like this or Videodrome? I haven't seen Videodrome. It's on my list, actually. Oh, it's good. Um, there's some there's some nice wet puppets in that movie as well. I, I like a good wet puppet. I it's, I will be honest. Primo. Um, the two leading uh, leading people in this movie like sell this for me. It's uh, Kurt Russell and Jimmy. Help me. Uh, 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 the Arbiter. Uh, <laughs> Is it Keith David? Yes, Keith yeah, David. Keith David. Um. Uh, Arby. Arby. Uh, Wolf of Brimley's also in there, in the mix. Oh, he is, excellent. isn't he? Yeah, excellent Brimley in that film. Um, But, like, the suspense of, is this person acting weird because they're acting weird? Or is this person acting weird because you're accusing him of being a shape-shifting monster? Yes. And then usually <laughs> it's a shape-shifting monster. It works pretty well. It's... It's such, like, where I think the Evil Dead works well off of it's just kind of goofy and atmospheric. This one works off of, like, I am as on edge as every other character because there is not one character in that room that I trust. Dude, just the fucking scene on the couch, like, that's the the pinnacle of all that. And it's amazing. Plus, uh a good like a really solid ending there with fighting the monster at the end and giving the one of the best like ending movies ending lines to a movie where Kurt Russell's like yeah well fuck you too throws it and then it just ends with him and Keith David just sitting there drinking <sighs> perfect good. anything else you want to add to that Danny I just think, in terms of construction, the thing is the most solid horror movie I've ever watched. On the first run through, I felt tension, and like it, the, it did the thing where it built that atmosphere, and I was actually like scared and on edge, like you're supposed to be. 
it's hard for that to happen with me in a horror movie because mm-hmm. like we've watched countless things in theaters like fucking the Fly by Facebook man. one dark web like there's so many horror movies out there the stinky bottom man, man. <laughs> so this is like if you like horror and you haven't seen like classic stuff this is what a horror movie should be just outright and one thing I have to mention uh, one of the best movie posters to ever exist also very the good movie poster is really good so great iconic that's art. the only thing that I really remember of it of what of the movie because I never watched it all I remember is seeing like the cover of it what movie the thing what thing exactly I think it's my favorite poster. One second. Yo, Where's it's that? it's oh. definitely up there. There's a Engram's yeah, yeah, great. There's an A24 movie that had a fantastic poster that, that I, I think, think it comes at night. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. That was it. I got you, James. I oh, I constantly you. think of it comes at night. I don't want to spoil it, and we're not even talking about this movie right now. I think it comes at night might be the movie's okay. The poster is art. Okay. Well, poster is the most affecting single image related to a film I've ever seen. You know, I think that like that's something really powerful when when you can just experience art like like the poster is more than the sum of its parts which is great um you want to know what else is more than the sum of its parts yes i do and it's also art yeah this podcast what (laughs) it's very abstract i could say that much i have no clue what's happening but you know let's end it with a bang or should I say a scream? It's time for the final scare. Uh, I need to stand Is there a music staying that should yeah, be happening I'm gonna, right now? Yeah, I'm going to put it. Probably. I, it's going to be okay, everything that I, everything will oh. be in post. That's that's my little gift to you guys is I want you guys to know that uh, I add things to the podcast after you guys, uh, uh, <laughs> after we finish recording it. By the way, I, I'm i not sure if you guys listened to the last podcast. I added completely new segments to it. <laughs> Did you? What does that mean? Um, you remember how we have a mystery segment in every episode? Oh my god, no. What if I told you guys I rehearsed this podcast beforehand? I I believe it. I would believe that. I hired. I could believe it. I hired four friends who kinda don't really like me that much, and we spent hundreds of hours talking about this podcast and coming up how each one of my bits would go. I could believe it. Oh my god. This week's mystery segment, we're talking about something that is horrific. We're talking about the rehearsal. (laughs) Oh! 
I love the rehearsal so much. I love the rehearsal so much. All of this stuff I'm cutting, we're only going to talk about the rehearsal in this podcast. Oh, by the way, like no joke, I added an extra segment to the last podcast. So if you guys want to go. I'll go back. Yep. We'll yep. listen to that. Yeah. I want to confirm yeah. that we're still going to talk about the final scare. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's on there. Why do you think I was hurrying? I had this whole... I. <laughs> I've been, okay. I've been sitting and with this in the, my the back pocket. Didn't make the goddamn it. Yeah, <laughs> it in the docket. That's. I, a... I, I, I'm so annoyed. I would be so annoyed if my pages of notes just went nowhere. <laughs> okay. Okay. So right, let's talk about let's talk about a man who doesn't exist. Uh, rehearsal. Uh, the rehearsal might be some of the most compelling. Did you guys finish the rehearsal? I. Oh. I think I've seen so. the first two. I have not seen. But where any, did no you get to, Danny? I, episode seven, I want to say. Was there a point where uh, Nathan had to explain to some actor that what was going on wasn't real? Um, what are yeah. we talking? Yeah, there's that part. Okay, okay. Yep. I think I know, we're on the same page. Uh huh. I know about that part. I didn't get there, but I know about it. So the rehearsal is uh, uh, a show, an HBO show by Nathan Fielder, um, famous for Nathan for you, a show in which uh, he absolutely he, he went to uh, a a really good business college in Canada and got really good grades, um, and he's helping struggling businesses succeed. Um, Who's watching a video? What the hell? <laughs> I could hear that in the background. Like, there was just like a little ding. And then. All right, I went to IMDb and it was so loud. <laughs> it was um, not me, I promise. Uh, All I have open is a document. Have you guys watched the last episode of Nathan Free? Uh, Searching for Francis, I think it's called? No. Um, It is a, a basically just a feature length film. In which it is difficult. Nathan Fielder tries to help uh, one of the people that he was helping with the business um, find his long lost love, Francis. Um, it is a very difficult movie to watch. Um, there is a lot of points where the blur between what is the production and what is the character of Nathan Fielder uh, mixes with. Nathan in real life um where it really breaks apart where not only do you as a viewer not know where the production ends and where the realness begins but Nathan doesn't know either which is honestly scary it's almost like Lovecraftian in its own right so uh the rehearsal is that but what if you left that guy alone for a couple of years and just watched him degrade even more? Um, <laughs> so the start of the rehearsal uh, started very similar to my mystery segment. Um, Nathan goes in uh, saying that he is pitching a new show. He goes to meet this guy at his apartment and they make some small talk. They uh, He makes a, a really class joke about uh, like a bunch of doors um and then <laughs> and then uh he he gets to the point where like they're going through his books and he he makes a funny observation about the books and everything 
Um, and then he sits down and he starts talking to this guy. And um, his whole thing is he wants to help people with their lives. And uh, he reveals to this guy, he says, what if I told you I've had all of this conversation before? And the guy's like, what? And then Nathan's like, so, you know, two weeks ago, when you let this uh, main maintenance crew in uh, about, like, a gas issue, uh, one person talked to you. I had another person go around your apartment and scan everything, and we built a 3D model of your apartment. And in doing so, we took that and we built a... a uh, one for one facsimile. Of, of your apartment <laughs> on a soundstage. Uh, so I went in there. I, I hired a actor. I made him watch your audition tape over and over again so he could get your cadence down. And we sat down and we rehearsed all of this. And this guy is just like, what? <laughs> um, it's so and basically his whole thing is he's trying to help people uh, like break the RPG that is life to the point if that if you like, have a life event that you only get to do one time you want to do it right uh -huh. so you're basically practicing for this impossible thing he like, gives you quick saves he gives you quick <laughs> yeah. saves um, it degrades by the end of the episode to him actively lying to this man to get closer to him um, basically Pavlov's dogging him to learn a bunch of trivia that he didn't want to know so he could help him cheat during trivia night. Um, and he rehearses this man trying to confess to uh, one of his co-workers or not co-workers, one of his trivia friends that he doesn't have a master's degree. He only has yeah, a bachelor's. He's so into trivia. Um, how it ends up ending is... Uh, the guy doesn't follow any of the the stuff that he does. He just admits it. Um, but he still wins the trivia night. Uh, and there's a point at the very end of that episode where Nathan goes in and he's talking to the guy and he admits what he did. He said, I lied to you and I, I taught you all of the answers to the trivia night by doing this. And it's, uh, it's shot with shot reverse shot so it will go to nathan and then it will go to uh this man but when it cuts back to the man after he makes the uh admission it's the actor that he had playing the man it's so confusing the whole time and he 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 lays into him saying that he was a terrible friend and everything and it cuts back to nathan and it puts him back at his save state and he doesn't admit it, and it goes back to the actual man. And they hug, and they're just good friends. It's literally the only way to describe the cuts between the rehearsal and real life. It's just like, yeah, so then he loads the save. So, it's the most direct analogy. So yeah. this starts down a line of Nathan not being able to escape the reality of rehearsing. He wants to make the most authentic rehearsal ever. 
to the point that like like it goes in and he'll he'll try to set up emotional impact to the rehearsal so people could could figure it out because he figures out the one thing that his rehearsals are missing are actual emotion um to the point that he just involves himself so insanely to like he can't he can't break out of what is reality and what is rehearsal basically god it gets to the end where Nathan has like actually emotionally hurt people because he's using them to fill this weird void in his life and the last shot of the show is one in which Nathan has now not been able to decipher reality and and uh, the rehearsal. It is art. Will you talk about that that poster that is art? This is art. It's so upsetting. It's so it's such a like character study of an extremely broken man, and I've loved every second of it. You are following him the entire way, like in his thought process and overthinking that same thought process to literally insane extents. Like being there and watching from outside the the rehearsal is like, it feels like you're in a, a, the mind of a serial killer or something. Like it's it's so meticulous and there's so much stuff that's planned out and things that are repeated over and over again. Like there's the part where he's got the acting class that he sets up to then have an actor that he follows to become that actor or like replay him. And then they have to do the acting class again because he didn't teach it right. So he has to do the student view. <laughs> and so like, it's so inside of itself that you, so you lose meta. sight with him of the outside. Dude, the bit like in that same episode where he's the actor going in and signing the contract uh, <laughs> to show up on the rehearsal is bizarre. The point so bizarre in in the third episode when it opens up with uh, <laughs> that kid going to bed and a bunch of people breaking into the house to steal the kid <laughs> to replace it with a with a puppet because child actor labor laws won't let them work They can only work like six hours a day at most or something. (laughs) There's... Time's gotta go. And then the last bit that, like, destroyed me, besides, like, the point that that child is so scarred because he thinks Nathan is his actual dad. um, Yeah. Is the point where his, uh, his older son goes down the slide and he comes out as a child again. Yep. Oh, what a perfect I, show. I, I haven't get there. It, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. Does that, that kid thinks Nathan's his dad, right? Yeah. Yes. Like fully genuinely? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's not good. It's not but good. But it's just because his mom personally had like situations outside of that, like a broken home. Yeah. And so because he's pretending to be his dad, then the kid, like, even though he's a child actor, needed that and, like, latched on. So they have to go through this whole separation part, and it's it's a wild ride. It's not good. There's a no. point. And, James, you think that would be the end of it? 
but Nathan has to make sure because it, it it ends where like the mom's like, yeah, no, I just know he's okay. And he's like, how could you possibly know that? So Nathan has to go in and set himself up a deeper rehearsal just to make sure this kid can be okay that Nathan isn't his dad. And it ends with a a point that like Nathan is deranged. Nathan Nathan is a crazy man. Yeah. <laughs> I just like dangerous. <laughs> uh, uh like there's not words to describe how I feel about that show. I think it has to break some sort of like uh, Screen Actors Guild laws. Like, there's there's no way it doesn't, right? I don't know. I don't know. Like, when I watched that first episode, I was like, oh, it's just going to be this over and over again. And the point where <laughs> it ended with Nathan living in the house with that woman, I was just like, oh, God, now he's part of it, too. And I thought yeah. that was the deepest level it was going to go. I didn't know it was going to get even deeper. It's the deepest, most winding rabbit hole that ever folded in on itself. Like, the other point where he uh, he finally gets rid of the lady, and it's just him, but then he brings in the Jewish teacher, and like, yep. it's like he invites another monster into his house. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're fundamentally the same. They just have different belief systems. Ugh. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. I think I could only take one more scare for tonight, guys. Yeah, our hearts are like at <laughs> capacity. I've had, I've been I've been sucking down baby aspirin like it like they're gonna stop selling it tomorrow. <laughs> it's time. For our final I'm gonna do like ah. some really good reverb on that. You guys are gonna love it. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Okay, so our last topic is uh, <laughs> probably gonna be a lengthy one, and I apologize. Uh, we are going to. Are talk you apologizing about... to your future self? Yeah, I'm apologizing should. to my future self, and then you and uh, Tristan. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. I I went it's back fair. and listened to Batman and like nobody nobody besides me and James talk talk for like an hour straight and I felt so that's... bad. John, you're going to have to accept that that's okay cuz it's about to happen. Oh yeah, I like yeah. I know my I will I will admit that I almost did fall asleep during that whole thing. Well, that that Just bodes now? that bodes well for our our No, during our that podcast. Yeah. If you start nodding off, mute your mic so that we don't get the snores. Oh no, that's what I did. Oh, like, and I, I want you guys to like talk with us if you have questions or anything. But I will say this: if you guys are to the point that you're like, I need to go to bed, I, I won't think less of you for leaving. That's a lie. I might just start playing a game in the middle. Like, I only know about uh, this next topic in the game slightly not even really that and uh what studio trigger is so well that's i don't have only, a lot to work with i know, vaguely know about no. studio trigger and that's about it do you know about akira yamaoka nope he makes nope. silent hill sound real good okay 
Okay. So, our last topic is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Woo! Woo! You guys cheer Woo! too. Thank you. I just, I want us all to be an active participant in probably naturally yeah. one of my favorite pieces of media in a while um oh dude you too <laughs> oh me too uh hey, so john mm -hmm. i'm starting to get worried about something yes what what if cyberpunk edge runners is good <laughs> what if it's good <laughs> this is concerning um, the eternal question we always keep coming back to it well like Here's the thing, and this is before we even start talking about it. Uh, cyberpunk Edge Runners has made people return to Cyberpunk, a fundamentally broken game. Uh, oh, the things from Edge Runners are in the game, though. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's the same world. They use the same characters. The people who who came up with the scenario are people from CD Projekt. I thought that, like, they made the anime and then CD Projekt was like, we're going to put that stuff in the game. No, uh, so how this production happened was... based on the tabletop also. A lot of, like, well, the deep cuts. That is true, too. Um, so the, the, okay. the scenario um, was written by staff members of CD Projekt. And then okay. people from Trigger wrote the, the actual screenplay and... and script and everything so this this anime has has hit so many people in the right way that it changed history it <laughs> it activated my stand it used tears for fears and now no. cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> is regarded as a good game you asked I what if it was good happen. we we somehow went from cyberpunk 2077 being one of the most like disastrous launches ever. It's Mighty uh, Number Nine too, but bigger. Somehow to to retroactively everybody's like, no, this game good though. No, that's actually rules though. Remember the anime? The an anime's dope. <laughs> so I'm gonna approach this from a similar way, and this is how I'm gonna get Danny uh Danny in. Um, I'm gonna try to sell you on Cyberpunk 20 uh, or Edge Runners. Not 2077, I don't care about that. <laughs> Functionally irrelevant. The one downside of uh, this is there's not as much Keanu Reeves as you want. That's true. That's okay. That's totally fine. I like trigger animes. Okay, so we'll start at the start. So uh, about, I want to say when this had come out, I was uh, getting a lot of texts from some friends to check this out and at the time, I was busy watching uh, Dragon Ball, I think. And I was like, oh, that's dumb. I'm going to watch Goku beat a person up for the hundredth time. Um, yeah. So, I... Uh, I and it's so good. John is speaking dismissively about Dragon Ball. I, I sat down and I watched the first episode. And immediately... I felt this oppressive feeling. That first episode introduces so many concepts. So the premise is in a good uh, way or a bad way. In a very good in in a good way as far as it goes narratively, in a bad way I felt that. Um, Fair enough. Which yeah. 
that's my gauge for movies is does it make me feel bad that means it's good i guess um this is a show but i guess it's the same um so for those who want to watch real quick where do you watch it? it's on the netflix, netflix show. okay it's a netflix show. It's first party netflix first party so steal your mom and dad's netflix account before they start making you pay for extra households do a quick it's a quick or, watch. It's like uh, it's a long-standing opinion held by the Hangout with Cast. Um, there is a free way to get content and media, and most importantly, art. Yeah, but if, no one uh, about it. if people make it harder than it's worth to get, there's other ways around it. Anyway, there's so many I, ways to watch these great things. Um, so Cyberpunk Edge Runners starts out with uh, our protagonist. David Martinez, um, he is a, a teen boy who uh, is attending a very prestigious school. Um, and to do so, his mother is working many jobs because she doesn't want him to live the same way that she lives. Uh, she wants him to have a future. And I... Uh, if you guys know anything about the cyberpunk world, a big thing about the the future, the only way you're going to be anybody is you're going to be a corporate person. You're going to be what they call a corporate. So you, she's, you work for one of the mega yeah, corps. One of the what three, four mega corps that are all at war yeah. with each other. There There's, is a point that somebody talks about the the corp war, which I imagine it is corporate war. Yeah, I imagine like quite literally these are are militarized corporations that fought and changed society in whichever way whoever's winning that time. So it sets up um it sets up that and immediately you get this feel of hopelessness. Um there is a lot of uh a lot of like people wasting their lives away with either like sex pornography um drugs and stuff like that because just being alive and not being like being alive at anything other than a corporate level and probably even being at a corporate level there is so little to live for you're trying to desensitize yourself the most um David is, you know, he sees his mom working so much. He is trying to tell her he doesn't want that school because he sees how it affects her. Um, but you have this beautiful montage that happens like three, four times of David going through the slums all the way up to what would be considered the higher class part to go to school. And it's painted perfect of like bad, bad, bad to kind of okay. And it puts a lot of like stake in the mun mundane level of how he's come to accept the class difference between these two areas because it's just part of his life. Um, so first episode, uh, it's the cyberpunk world. Things are bad all the time. People are dying all the time. Uh, David's mom gets in a car accident. Uh, 
it, right after they got in a fight of like him getting kicked out of the school but she's gonna get him back in by paying a bunch of money and they get in a fight where he's like i don't even want to go here and she gives her whole spiel that she wants him to be at the top of uh one of the big mega corpus towers she's working so he doesn't have to live the same life she gets in a car accident um she is the only person he has in his life and uh uh like the big thing that happens is the ambulance shows up literally lands on the freeway to come next to the burning record mm -hmm, and looks at everything and picks up somebody and does not pick up his mom so he eventually has to get his mom to the doctor and they're like okay she's gonna need an expensive surgery yada yada so on so forth and like it's the worst looking possible uh um hospital ever like the public sector mm -hmm. alternative it's the the gesture towards socialized medicine so they're waiting much longer for a worse ambulance to show up that takes them to a bad doctor at a bad hospital mm -hmm. so which I mean, technically, it means that it has better socialized medicine in the United States of America, and it is a dystopia. It's... What are you going to do? So, after that happens, uh, some things in uh, in his class happens. He, he goes back to say he's not going to go to school, and he gets picked on by uh, some of the corporate kids, and they're able to beat him because they're corporate kids, and they can expend, they can buy having mechanical implants put into them they can they can mechanize up so this stupid little bull cut kid has uh has these real fast kung fu hands and he just beats the shit out of uh david once again cementing the difference between him and what would be like an upper class person like he just he cannot afford to keep up with these people as he is knocked down, he gets a call from the hospital. Hey, your mom's dead. Oops. That was fast. And uh, it, it's talked about. He goes in there and he's like, I thought she was doing fine. And they basically say, well, if you would have had the premium contract on your medical insurance, maybe she'd be okay. Um, and they give him a canister with his mom's name on it. And that's it. Comes out of a vending machine. It comes out of a vending machine. I, I'll talk about that later. I just want and, you guys to remember about the the crematorium vending machine. And there's a crematorium vending machine. Well, you still get the same mom that you ordered. Yeah, but yeah. it does come <laughs> but out. But all of the parts are all of the parts are there. Um, yeah, that's just okay. The episode wow. kind of. I I think that's where that episode ends. But like it, it's something that like I felt a lot with going through a lot of stuff like this year, where it's like this is the worst thing that has ever happened to David, and it's such not a thing to literally anybody else. Um, and that was sad. That was really sad, and like it, it made me feel bad because, you know, if he just had the premium contract, his mom would be okay. Um, and, and that's like a sad thing for the character. What this show ends up doing is, uh, from that, it's, 
it's this thing of David trying to go on with his life and pull himself out of poverty. He is behind on rent payments to the point that, like, he'll go to his door and it will say past due payment and he can't open the door with the electric lock because he can't afford to get in. So he starts breaking in through a vent um, and he, like, naps with his mom's urn because that's all he has. Um, and it's about him getting into what is the cyberpunk life, this sort of like cowboy sort of crime your way to the top. Yeah, a cyberpunk is a, a literal thing. Like it's the, like how you would have a professional criminal, that kind of thing. Uh, sort of mercenaries working for the, your various corpos. Uh, so, yeah, he signs on with with this uh, uh, this rough and tumble gang of cyberpunks that are contracting for uh, Giancarlo Esposito uh, because the show rules. Did you watch it in English or Japanese? In English. Okay, so. Did you watch it in Japanese? I sure did. Oh, that's very strange. Well, I'm happy that it's enjoyable in both. It's a recommendation on both ends. Yeah, absolutely. I I can't I can't imagine what they would do for a lot of the the slang and the because it moves it doesn't explain a lot of it. It just trucks through like it's a living language. Yeah, and it does the same like Fantastic. I I'm I'm pretty confident that the English uh, the English subtitles are just the English words. Oh yeah. So. I, I was able to follow along with that. Um, so I, uh, what it ends up becoming is like, like this desperate struggle to just try to get ahead in the world, and how ultimately how hopeless that is. Like, there's, <sighs> it gets into. Um, Later, we get into a lot of like, uh, 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 God, what is it called? Um, them getting mechanical implants. Do you remember what that is? Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're chroming. Yeah, they're chroming uh. up. So there's, there's people who they call chrome junkies, and they're people who become so insane with trying to improve their bodies that they literally, their mind can't keep up with it, and they start going crazy. Um, and it just talks about like the one thing you can try to do to try to get ahead in this world. There's, there's only one outcome for that. And it becomes this sort of like desperate struggle to reach the top of something that just doesn't exist for somebody who was born in a lower class. Like there is not a way out. It, it's impending the end is coming and like since like there's a moment there's a distinct moment where they're all hanging out as a gang after like the friendship montage is over and there's this dude who's urinating off the back of a van and uh, uh he has a mechanical penis by the way I really like that uh because you know it's, that feels very cyberpunk to me uh like the setting there's a moment during that sequence 
And then from that point, there's a tension that never leaves the show. Like, there's a point, and, like, that's another thing that, like, you had emphasized with that, like, no character in this show is safe. And it's not like, when people go out, it's not like a big deal. It's just something that happens. Like, there's a point that you see, like, the lineup of the crew. You're like, oh, they're all memorable characters. I can't wait to hang out with them. And the way that it deals with them as people, like, it doesn't matter. They don't matter. And, like, another great thing about it is the villain of this is a low-ranking corporate person who is trying to use them to go up the corporate ladder himself. Like, it's so set in everybody's trying to go up to this point that they will never actually achieve and they will literally throw everybody aside to do it and how hopeless the thought of rising up in this dystopian capitalist society is so hopeless for anybody like we're not even talking like I mean, it's a trigger anime, right? So the whole point is that it becomes more and more, like it never stops building. It there's there's only a climax. There's no rising or falling action, mm-hmm. right? It it still does that, but the scale is so shifted that we're never going after the CEO mm-hmm. or the head of a division or the president or the mayor. Like we're going after like an independent middle manager contractor who's being backed up by like the lieutenant to the local security department Mm -hmm. and like we don't see anybody that makes more than like a million dollars a year we just don't even see them and like a lot of things that are like I love the theme but like if we get back into the character stuff like with David David is constantly reminded his his social class and the the class of the people he cares about and loves is so much lower than these people that they're looking at that are like scumbags that will like go in and they'll die and immediately the med crew shows up in seconds and it's always that constant reminder of his mom didn't have the premium plan on the subscription to the hospital so she didn't get to live anything but help people I was like, like, what was her, like her big crime is that she was like selling cyber parts on the black market. Mm-hmm. Like that, and that's not like a spoiler. That's the second scene of the second episode. But like that, her run, her run is so her her scale of of evil is so much less than even the lowliest character, the lowliest enemies that the gang of, of edge runners meet. Yeah. It's and... really fantastic in that way. There's never, there's never a moment where you see somebody that has like a suit on where they're not being horrific. Yeah. Like, uh, is that what earns you the suit is being horrific? Yes. Kind of. Definitively. But, like <laughs> it goes to emphasize that like, a lot of times that you see somebody can make any sort of movement upwards in society is at the cost of those that are around. Like, there is never a point that somebody gets ahead 
because they're working together. It's always because they are putting somebody underneath them. The only way to climb is using the bodies of the people below. And Capitalism <laughs> dictates that you put a boot on someone else's neck so that you can get pressure off the boot on your neck. That is the only way that works. If you gain anything, it is because of that. And I think one of the best things that it does with that is that feeling of how useless all of that is, you know? Like, it goes to emphasize everybody who makes the call to uh, eventually betray anybody to get ahead in the world is never actually rewarded. And it goes in to say that the structure and the class that you are put into escaping that in this society there is not like there's that doesn't exist so does it suppose that there's like a restructuring like what's the there's the morality of the show that they're like dealing with and the morality that they would like suppose like what's the what's the difference there the reality is the thought that you can climb out of your class that i if we want to start talking, I was going to talk a little bit more about the mechanics of the show before we start talking about the themes, because I also have a secret segment. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, no. Oh. The reality of this oh, podcast no. is... The reality is, is that you can never escape. Um, I'm going to say that no real antithesis is offered, but I also don't necessarily know that that's the point. It is about what, like 200 minutes and almost half of those is gunfights or car chases right so they don't it's not necessarily it's not ghosts in the shell where people are hanging out talking about the ideology the prevailing ideology of the world the ideology of the institutions that they work for and their views on it it's definitely it's it's so emotions and character driven that it doesn't have time for that that's not necessarily the goal yeah that's what i kind of really like about it is i feel like it would have been worse if somebody sat down and said you know what lucy we're not getting out of this one i just think we're gonna be set exactly of us part two we're exactly (laughs) where like where people can talk about human nature it's not something like one of the things I really liked about it was I felt like everybody kind of accepted that to be the truth. They came to the same sort of terms that the audience did and nobody talked about it because it was obvious. Right. Okay. It's like, that uh, makes a lot of sense. there's, there's a, a character that I op- absolutely love. Um, He's the, the the main dude of the crew. His name's Maine. Um, and his whole, Maine. his whole episode is about you just got to keep running. It doesn't matter if there is an end. You just have to keep running. And I think that that's kind of where every character is in the show is they see how, how hopeless all of that is, but you have to keep running. You get stronger and you go faster. And it doesn't matter what the end is. 
because you have to do those things, there are no alternatives. Yeah. It's You're already this far. <laughs> already this far. Uh can I can I talk a little bit about the mechanics of course. Of, of, yeah, of sorry. The show? I uh... uh no, no, it's all good. I, I just have a lot to, to work through vis a vis themes and I wanna make sure that Kristen and Dan are awake. Um as you guys may know, I'm not a studio trigger guy. I I'm I've bounced off of Gurren Lagan and Kill the Kill a couple of times. Uh, John, when I uh, when we were in Denver, you took me to Promare, right? I think we went to Promare together, but yeah, I I w- what you're about to say is me and you are very similar with Trigger. Is I I'm not ever really in love with anything I've seen from Trigger. I'm I'm the type of dude that loves over the top stuff, but there's too many, there's too little with a lot of trigger stuff for it to really resonate with me. Um, it's, plus, for me, it's almost always a tone thing. It 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 falls into a lot of a lot of like, there's a lot of things that I don't like out of Trigger, which, I mean, I feel like this show has, but in a weird way, thematically, it makes a lot more sense. When I was yeah. messaging you um, about the show, I was like, this is the first time I feel like Trigger has made something where the style doesn't overtake the substance. Because generally, generally, uh, Trigger stuff lacks any amount of substance and it doesn't say anything. Right. And so while we're lodging complaints about how Trigger does things, I don't know if either or any of you watched uh, BNA. But that was the last, most recent like show they put out. Um, that's where I was I, kind of. I have not yeah. even heard of this. I have heard of this. I have. It's on my to watch list. It, I have. I, Tristan, you're a, you're a triggerman, aren't you? Triggerman. Here and there, yeah. Triggerman. I've watched okay. more. Of I really like their logo, and I really like that "Don't Lose Your Way" song. I don't want to say that I don't like Studio Trigger things. I like their logo more than I like any other logo of any studio. And I like that 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 one anime song more than I like anime. So in this particular anime, DNA, uh, they were so close to saying something of substance. And I like really wanted them to like have that. It was building towards that through the course of the show. And then I was disappointed because the climax was a, a standard uh, studio trigger climax. But I, that's why I wanted to talk about the morality and themes of Edge Runners because it seems like, even though this isn't necessarily like their property, there there was you know hands in hands with uh, Project Red. It appears here story wise, uh, if they were in fact saying a thing and uh, committing to having that rather than just doing the over the top nonsense. I think the source material helps them a lot since since the obviously not the tabletop but every piece of media that's come out the actual cyberpunk franchise not the genre necessarily it's violent it's loud uh it's not subtle uh it's literally <laughs> perfect it's studio trigger and and the cyberpunk franchise were made for each other and it's a shame that they only found each other now 
Because if, if I if I had seen this before I saw Kill a Kill, I would be a Studio Trigger guy, I think. Yeah, but then, like, if you really think about it, then everything you watched afterwards would be a huge disappointment. I think, well, you know, I, I also like Ruby, so, you know, but... Uh... I think the way that you... <laughs> So, I think you know. the way that you did it is a lot better because, like, similar to you, I went in expecting nothing, which is yeah. why I think I came out of this so insanely positive. I think if I was expecting something, I would still be very positive about it, but I wouldn't have messaged, like, you guys to say you should watch you shot this. Me, you shot me the text. I watched the first episode, and I was like, we're recording another Hangout with this weekend, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm gonna finish this show, and I'm gonna have to talk about it. Um. Anyway, uh, the music, by the way, is fantastic. It's so good. I. That's my actually big caveat with this show is the music, like the music. is good. I think that there are some moments that uh, revel in having licensed music that it doesn't go to make a scene better as much as it is oh I know this song and it's kind of a shame because uh, one of the best composers is uh, uh, the original score composer of this Akira Yamaoka uh, made famous by the Silent Hill franchise um, and you can tell his musics in all those side things, and those are great. I wish that there was more of that, but I will say there are some uh, some songs that work very well, like every every bit of the song that plays with uh, Lucy and David, I think, is great. I, I put the, the outro theme on my playlist. Okay, already. yeah, that's good. That's exceptionally good. I also really like the open. I like the look of the open. The open is good too. I uh, it looked like Persona Four, which made my heart happy. And then I heard it, and it sounded good, and it made my heart excited. The uh, talking about the theme again, uh, quite literally, David running and running and running as his body continues to fall apart. Is very great. good. Very good. Uh. Studio Trigger, I'm getting a sense that they, they like their motion a lot. Uh, they like the big sweeps, just from what I can tell. Uh, just from watching the first episode of Kill a Kill every year or so to see if I can get into it yet, because that song's so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, this has... This has uh, some of my favorite moments of just pure stopped nothing moves in the frame tension since Evangelion. It's very good. Uh, there's there's actually one in particular where we see the, uh, the main character, he has a slow motion power. He like slows down spot, he slows down time and then he like, uh, he's got some uh, cool Technicolor nonsense. Uh, anyway, there's a scene where he is fighting a huge dude that's like all cyberpunked out and there's a slow motion that like Harry a little bit. They have like a little back and forth. And then the main character gets the better of this big guy. And uh, it's a real reversal of fortune. It's a great look. There's a huge leap. And then 
it stops, it cuts the perspective of the two people with them, and then it plays it out in real time. Oh Stellar. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, I like uh, I like a bit of uh, uh, delicious violence in my programming. I like I like to see it. I like to see those kinds of things because when they're used well in something that matters and they're done very well, uh, it's a game changer. Like Predator, uh, it's best score. Um, Studio Trigger, this this the whole first open like the the, the cold open of the show is some of the most well animated and horrific violence. I it's since funny since like since like end of. It's funny you bring that up because that was the part of the show that I watched and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be I don't think I'm gonna be into this because it felt like violent for violence sake. And it wasn't until I was getting into the world and kind of feeling everything that I was like, oh I get it now. This makes no, sense. I feel the exact opposite. It hooked me from the start. <laughs> Very because funny. I was like, yes, there's an anime fight that has stakes. Very funny. Like a guy gets punched really hard in the head and then he doesn't have a head. And I'm like, there we go. That never happens to a Goku. <laughs> you know? That sold me. Um There's a thing there's this there's a thing that can happen to you in the lore of the world. Uh, cyber psychosis, where you get, you become kind of more machine than man. It's kind of the one big follies. I think it's a classic. Uh, it's a it's a classic theme from your cyberpunk genre, uh, shown in the franchise cyberpunk. I think in a very interesting way. The depictions of that, from the perspective of the people who are suffering from it, are really strong. I they're. They don't do anything too crazy. It's not like out of the box. It isn't like uh, like blow you away. Whoa, this is so cool. This is so this is so new. But it is very well done in a lot of ways. There's one in particular towards the end. I don't want to ruin, but it uses a montage from earlier in a new way mm. that I I thought I thought was really quite delightful. Are you talking about the end end one? Uh, yes, probably. We gonna get to the top of that tower? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's the yep. guy. Yep. That was extremely good. John, do you have anything to say about the mechanics? Because uh, I have my secret segment. Um, yeah, I, I really like... I like how all of the mechanics and all of, like, what everybody starts doing with themselves as far as uh, chroming up has to represent with their character um i think sure, that there was a time shit it was a time skip right i think there was a time skip but i also think the time skip is a lot more uh not like there's like a oh may 19th and then like june 40th or i whatever. think i think there's a time skip but i think the time skip is not like because a character goes from being very small to being very big. Um, and I don't think it's like he's much bigger because of time. I think it's a lot more he's much bigger because he's real into chroming himself up. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a thematic element to that that I'll talk about soon. There sure is. Um, <laughs> I think everything to do I with guess. like, uh, once again, like, 
the the thought of escape a lot of people's escape is through what is called brain dances um and it's just like these little movies where they can put themselves in the place of some character in it and there's some characters that use it for like excess violence excess sex or there is characters that use it as a physical escape a physical sort of feeling of getting away and kind of getting towards the future they want to have it's a um, full-blown give up machine Sort of it, the, it is a like little the, bit the, of a, a little cafe in Inception mm-hmm. where people just go live in their dreams. The um, most interesting part of that movie, and it's in the, and it's in it for a minute. But that that uh, I, I think that that's they use that very strongly. It's, it's so good. I uh, I really like the what you were talking about the mechanic of of uh, cyberpsychosis. Um, Another really good thing is the same thing that happens to that character, but in the doctor's office, when it goes from a doctor's office visit to an actual, like, horror sequence, um, but it ramps it up in a way that, like, isn't out of character for anybody, so it's not till you get to the very end that you're like, oh, this is what's actually happening. Um, right. That I thought was really well because Trigger does a lot of like wacky animation with their characters. So you you kind of start going, oh, are they just doing a weird thing? And then the character starts speaking a little bit more intimidating. And then it just starts devolving more and more. And I think that there's a lot of cool viewpoints from that um, that they do really well to convey how how that character is seeing it. Um, Besides that, I have only theme to talk about. Okay. Uh, Hi, everybody. I don't have a spooky intro except for... uh, Do you guys want to talk about staring at the unknowable horrors and marveling at the things of our own creation i feel like we could have introduced that and don't hug me i'm scared no we could have done that but uh you know know what i think it makes a lot of sense here you know what danny has a point i think i know we're running a little late but i think we should take it back to the top for don't hug me i'm scared and then just go from there and let's talk about the mechanics of that (laughs) it's shot very well uh so john uh, it's spooky season, right? So you went on a horror binge? Sure did. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you sent me that text and you said, hey, cyberpunk is good, actually. And I watched the intro and I said, oh, no. Shucks. Heck. And darn. Uh, I went back through and I watched most of cyberpunk as a genre. <laughs> this week (laughs) (laughs) I really I ran the table on this one um the important ones that we'll talk about I watched Blade Runner um 1982's Blade Runner which is my third favorite movie uh I watched ever Blade Runner 2040 yes ever uh it's my number two movie of the 80s beat only by the breakfast club 
My favorite scene in that movie is uh, is when they're interviewing that guy about the turtle that flipped over. <laughs> what is it? What's a turtle? <laughs> you know, a tortoise? Yeah, same thing. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that? Oh, it might be my second favorite movie ever. Is it better than Sideways? Is it Maybe. because of the the turtle thing that I did? It <laughs> is. Is it because of the line part time? <laughs> part time. Uh, no, that's you know my, you know the tears and rain scene. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. even my favorite line in the movie. It's what he Edward James says right after. Uh, uh, anyway, we'll talk about Blade Runner more. Any chance that you give me? So, uh, or you watch Blade Runner? And there's not a scene in that movie that's bad. There's actually not a scene in that movie that isn't perfect. Um, I rewatched Blade Runner 2049. There's not a scene in that movie that's bad. There's not even a scene in that movie that's not perfect. I that one's on the top 20. I love Blade Runner 2049. Do you not like it more than Blade Runner 1? I will drive to your house. I might like Blade Runner 2049. More? We'll do a back-to-back, John. More? I don't know. I, uh... I, uh, uh, there are some bits in that movie that I'm not a huge fan of in Blade Runner 2049, but, like, when that movie's good, that movie's real good. I'm, I'm not a big fan of anything with Harrison Ford in that. That's the craziest thing you've ever said in your entire life, and you will eat those I like, I like the character, I like what's going on, I just don't think he's giving a good performance, therefore I'm upset about it. You think Deckard or in 2049? In 2049. He's giving an amazing performance in uh, <laughs> original Blade Runner. That's, yeah, that's, no, that's I mean, my problem it's... is it's it's old Harrison Ford compared to now Harrison Ford where he's just... Oh, yeah. When he stopped being an actor at yeah. some point after, I'm pretty sure, The Fugitive, I'm going to say. Yeah. I think The Fugitive is probably the last movie where Harrison Ford's an actor. Mm-hmm. So uh, Air Force One's a maybe. He's trying. So I watched those two. Um... I wanted to watch Ghost in the Shell again, but I couldn't, uh, I, I could, I ran out of time. <laughs> I, was just, I was just staring, I was just staring, I was literally staring at a clock on Thursday before I had to go to work, and I was doing the math, and I'm like, nope, there's no time, there's no time for any of this. I know that, uh, I know that the episode has long been deleted, but uh, I think a better approximation of that is the famous lost episode where me you and ben fight each other over yeah, well <laughs> i think i still think i'm right i still think the starship troopers is a better movie but i need to go back i'd like to go watch it again and and think, and see okay. i think i think a lot of we that have, was spit and fire because you guys were i you guys came out stabbing and i was i was not okay so i had to stab back that's fair <laughs> I think I I didn't like that movie for like a year. And I think, John, so many years ago, we talked about, I think the the, the genre I had the most experience with is probably probably sci-fi. And the genre you like the most is probably sci-fi. The genre you have the most experience with is horror. And the genre I like the most is probably horror. Right? It's like a weird crisscross thing. Yeah. It is a very weird crisscross. It's weird, but it's... It makes sense. I think secretly, I've been into cyberpunk the entire time. I didn't that's, know that. That's the one. 
I didn't know about that this week, but yeah, it's a really nice blend of those two. I was about in to say. In a lot of fun ways. Uh, I didn't know that I was big into the, the cyber nonsense, but I'm I'm fully aboard the cyber train. I think I'm the conductor. <laughs> I also, I played Deus Ex, the original one, the 1999 version. Yeah. God. And I also played Valhalla. So I played two of the best games ever. Why are you playing that Smash Bros? Oh, no. Valhalla. Okay. Yeah, V-A-1-1-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-H-A-
I think Cyberpunk is kind of the only one that you can get away with saying that. But Cyberpunk should be about a small handful of things, and if it's not yet, you need to go back to the drawing board. Because you missed. Uh, Valhalla is really great. You play as a bartender who makes drinks for people that kind of look like George Costanza. And there's a little robot that happens to be a prostitute. So one of the other patrons is also a girl who's constantly streaming. She has an advanced AI plugged into her brain uh, with little micro cameras that see through her eyes and also her face. She has it like a floating drone. Uh, she's a regular patron and she's constantly streaming. I really like her segment. Uh, it's sort of about the commodification of your time. So you, as a bartender, you get to make drinks with these uh, with with these weirdos, and you talk about the things that are going on outside of the bar. Uh, like the one cop lady who shows up and she's like, boy, people sure don't like us. And the bartender says, yep, that sure is a thing that you care about. Smokes a cigarette, drinks coffee. She's like, "Don't you, how do you feel about the police? And then your character says, I, I just, hey man, I just work here. That to me is cyberpunk. I think it also that really helps right. with the theme of cyberpunk and why it does it so well. Because it starts out with a free-to-play model. But uh -huh. if you want to play Garnet, you have to put in a lot of money. So it's like it makes you think that 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 you could play Garnet without it, but you can't. And I think that that's that's a good thing. It's really good because Garnet talks a lot about when she's bartending. I. Uh, she talks a lot about the economic atomization of late capitalism become uh, the surveillance Foucaultist uh, panopticon capitalism that we see in a cyberpunk genre. That's right, I'm using that college degree. What up? Uh, we... We... John, you talked about it some when you were talking about cyberpunk, and I think we're, I think we're diverging of opinions here, so I think you need to sound the alarm. Oh, no. Two different opinions are on oh, the no. podcast. Okay, okay, guys, we we've, we've practiced this. Turn off your Is computers now, and then forget <laughs> that we ever did plug, any of this. Plug. Pull the plug. This is it. Oh no! Oh no! Okay, I, 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 guys, we are now at crush death. Turn turn off your computers. I'm gonna go delete all of the other episodes of the podcast, and it's good like call. it never existed. That's a really good call. That's the only way to get out of this. I think cyberpunk edge runners follies in a small place and it's not huge it's not bad it doesn't like make it bad but we see a lot of the social strata the social conflicts that we have whether or not you can exist within a group of people in the panopticon capital in the panopticon prison capitalism of the cyber future but after the first episode, like, we don't, like, talk about money, except for as... Kind of like the same way that you would in a Grand Theft Auto. Like, it's a thing to accrue, that's why we're all here, but it isn't the point. Uh, we have the time skip, and they're obviously living a much better life. They have that great apartment that I'm very jealous of. It's a fantastic <laughs> open floor plan loft. Um, They're always just naked in a... They're yeah, they're constantly time. naked in their beautiful house. Uh, and I'm so jealous of that, as opposed to the house that they consistently have to break into, mm -hmm. like, every day. 
You're like, oh, whoopsie, I forgot my wallet. Better break back into my own house. Um, so we see that they, like, achieve this level of success. Uh-huh. But I think... I don't know. Deckard's apartment sucks. <laughs> like, it has that cool window that makes everything feel sad. <laughs> but, like, he just goes in there, and his kitchen's a disaster, and his bed is just in the middle of the room for some reason. 2049 has such a great example. That's the oh, worst place I've ever seen a human being live. So he bad. just has a table butted up against that window, and his, uh, his holographic Cuban wife is just so nice to him, and puts down the beautiful steak in front of that green and grape uh, mush that he's eating out of a ramekin. You weren't a big fan of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, were you? I... The first time I read it, I was in high school. No, I was in early college. Okay. And I didn't... I was comparing it too much to Blade Runner. Yeah, Because I started with that. Don't do that. And it's not Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's. It might be based on it, but they're not the same thing. They're not even. I would argue that they're kind of not talking about the same thing. So, um, Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is so ecological in a way of lot. In a, a lot of Philip K. Dick novels are, mm -hmm. and I just didn't have that frame of reference. I need mm -hmm. to go back very badly. Um, one of the things, and I think this is a very similar, similar sort of feeling is one of the things that uh, is described as far as a living condition goes in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is uh, his name's Deckard too in that one, right? Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Deckard's yeah. wife talks about uh, how much the silence of the apartment buildings that they're living in is is like so depressing because they have everything nice everything's good as far as that is they're they're well off enough yeah um yeah but nobody's there because nobody wants to be on earth because everybody right. wants to go get off of it because earth is incredibly erased um it's swathed radiation there is no more plant or there's no, I mean that's why there's mm -hmm. electric sheep is because mm -hmm. it's not a huge part of the movie it's in a lot of the deleted scenes and it's part of the motivation by the thing mm -hmm. if you know if you remember Deckard finds a synthetic snake scale uh -huh. that's how he tracks I think it's Sora uh, but there there's like it's a, an incredible rarity to have a real animal made out of like meat and stuff yeah so they're all robots mm -hmm. that's the electric sheep yes um it's all about it's all about looking like you are a person that can afford a real animal oh 60s and 70s and i love it for it because it's it's so focused on authenticity in a way that we just aren't focused with since the 90s so, like 9-11 happened and not because of this it just happened around the same time and it's like it doesn't matter we're post irony we're not, we're in the age of irony it doesn't matter authenticity is relevant you can just put a cadillac sticker on your kia you're driving a caddy so so in a very similar way there is a lot to do with decker's pursuit of of 
economic prosperity and his eventual potential being able to leave Earth for a better life is one that's not going to happen because he is putting his body at at sacrifice for the quest right. to rise out of that. And how he's I the, kind of... He's a detective tracking down the most dangerous kind of criminal. Yes, and... They're, they're it, literally future soldiers. It gets into a lot of other things of like, you know, we don't have to talk about that right now. Uh, but no. I feel like in a very similar sense, uh, where you talk about the lavish apartment and everything, it's the thought of this is the thing that we have that we sacrificed all of this for and there is an yeah. end. There is not we get to live here. This is a place we get to stay until the end happens. Until the other shoe drops. Yes, because that yeah. shoe will drop. And that's I that's, like that a lot. I love I love the absolute lack of security. That's that's the thing where where like you look at that as a potential misstep. I see it as a another thing as this is the false sense of this is my way out, but it's not the way. Out. There is not a way out of this, you know? Yeah. And yes, I, it, it gets that's... very into like GTA, we got money, we're doing stuff to the point where like right. quite literally, uh people are doing drive-bys and doing like heists and stuff similar yeah. to a GTA online. Which I thought yeah. was pretty funny, and I thought was very, very in tune with. This is a video game world. It's good. It's it's a lot of fun. I, I think it's not so much that I I dislike that that sense of security. It's that I. Valhalla focuses so much on you being ground down economically. There's two mechanics that entire game. You're mixing drinks and you're doing a budget. Not for the bar, but like how the character, Jill, the bartender, covers rent and still buys porn and beer. Mm. Like, that's it. And like, it's the, the thin margins of like how, like just what you are paying for each month. And also, I have to remember how to make a star drop or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I... I didn't that first episode does such a great job and I think maybe that's my problem is that I I started going down one path and the show didn't that wasn't the path that they were talking about where you you see like the subscription based laundry mm -hmm. the the dryer that you have to buy the V-Bucks for and that set me on a different path you know the mom is doing like the hazmat work and uh -huh. this it's all about like can you afford to keep the kid going to the school and then he walks through the whole city to get there. And I didn't, after that first episode, money is like the commodity that they're working for and they're working through. Mm -hmm. But it isn't about that same sort of economic grindstone that we have David and his mother in in that first episode. And mm -hmm. I love that. That's one of my favorite parts. I mean, obviously, personally motivated. That's the kind of thing I like. I want to write about. I read about. That's what I do every day. I want, I saw that so well represented in the first episode, and then it doesn't come back. After that, it's so deeply personal. It's so centered on the character and their relationship to each other and the world around them mm -hmm. that their relationship as an, as an economy doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's not really like, it's not a failing of the show. 
It isn't. It's something that I think is, as part of the genre, it needs to be there. I think in, in the way it's like, Deckard can't stop being a Blade Runner because the debts, because of the fines, because mm -hmm. of this is what he chose to do. You don't get to stop doing it. It's it's post-environment capitalism. That's mm -hmm. not an option. You can't go drive Uber now. You chose to be a cop when you were 18. You are a cop now. And I missed, I missed that. Uh, there's a there's a real sense of freedom that you have with the gang mm -hmm. that I thought was delightful to watch, but I didn't think represented the best the best of the genre. I guess how I read that uh, as well was um, that there is such a vast difference between the people on top keeping everybody down that even though yeah. that they have this sort of quote unquote economic prosperity there is such a disparaging gap between that that it's still not enough to claw your way out of being right. anything other than the class you're in and like I said the biggest thing that I wanted that I thought it really emphasized was this is not this is not your point this is not where you get to be this is a point you get to look at and tell the other shoot drops. Okay. No, I see that. I like that kind of like Deckard going to visit Tyrell and is off. It is this he he's standing on the ziggurat, <laughs> and then the scene before he was eating noodles in the rain by himself <laughs> uh -huh. with the only other person in the world that likes him, the guy who sells him noodles. What a relationship. No, when you finally meet somebody that will sell you noodles, you know you made it. I wish I had a noodle man that did not speak the same language as me. Closest I would ever be to a person. Genuinely. Yeah. I guess a lot of people have that, like, if they stop for coffee every day. But I like coffee and chicory, so I just make that in the morning. Could you imagine going to drink your cup of coffee and you try to slurp it down and just a bunch of noodles fall out? I'd be uh, yeah, that. John, I can dream. I dream every night. I dream of a better world all the time. Does Jimmy <laughs> dream of electric noodles? John, who was the fucking person who had like the pocket spaghetti? What the fuck is that about? Pocket spaghetti? <laughs> Doesn't that a thing? It's a 4 thing. It's a 4 thing. He's trying to impress this girl, and then the <laughs> he poops his pants. <laughs> and the spaghetti falls out of his fanny pack. Wait, He's what? To... <laughs> Why would you keep spaghetti in your fanny pack? This is the part that Tristan activates for. This is the part that Tristan cares about. Yeah, he wants to learn new ways to, that you can put spaghetti that you can carry it with you conveniently. He's just been yeah, using probably. the spaghetti that sounds about right. <laughs> Okay, I can send it to you. I'll have to do that later. Okay, please do. I'll put it in the chat as soon as John stops recording. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a shame it's the spooky episode, because I was going to say, Does James Dream of, of Electric Noodles? That's a great title. Hey, you know. <laughs> maybe I'll use it in the future. Keep that one it's in my good. back I mean, pocket. 
I just have to bring it back up organically, and then it becomes a podcast long joke. I love yeah. that. Um, I was trying to bring back up. There was I had a joke where when my car got broken into, the reason they they had to run away so quickly and leave the car locked is because all the seagulls came out of there. So that's a way to bring it up <laughs> un- unorganically, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's a callback to the beginning of the episode. Or was that, <laughs> that was last episode? The beginning of the previous episode. <laughs> also, nobody <laughs> besides the people in here know that you, your car got broken into, so. You know. <laughs> Dude, I think everybody who saw that gigantic angry swarm of seagulls knows. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Can't argue that. Um, but I could keep talking about cyberpunk, but I refuse. <laughs> I'm done. I'm so uh, the last thing the I want to talk about is, body is weak. Uh, and I'll make this quick. Is I think the uh, I think the relationships between the characters are very nice. There's a really genuinely sweet love story that has a very similar feel to it. That despite finding each other, there's not. There's not a good point for them, you know? It's not... It's going to end. Everything that lives is designed to end, you know? You, you, you remind me of something that I, I kind of wanted to talk about, but I also didn't. Uh, I think that cyberpunk as a genre has a very interesting relationship with women, and it's probably something that you we can stay tuned for because i don't know maybe there'll be a book uh i have all these ideas on my noggin and in a google doc and on the notes pad uh, various notepads around my desk <laughs> like i'm it's not joking it's absurd write it uh, down i want it. somebody to invent a nose pad i said notes you, yeah i, I said notes <laughs> I you I just, can't. I, I just, will jump. This is, the this is my secret hope. Was, I was hoping. I was hoping pad. you would say nose pad, and I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't I'm want to put that evil you. on you. I'm here to amuse the audience. Who wants to hear I just talk want a nose pad, man. Why? It's a pad it's of notes that you only can write <laughs> notes with your nose. I'm gonna destroy this podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna burn it down. You the can two try. characters that I think are the most interesting in Cyberpunk Edge Runners are Becca and Kiwi. Oh yeah. Yes, I think Becca is the finest bro character in anime since Yosuke in Persona Four. Okay. Becca is such a great pal, and I think that we all need a pal like Becca. If only she wasn't a child that had sexual attention with the main character. That is really tragic. Um. If only. It's okay. She's modded or whatever, so she's like an actual adult. She just looks and sounds like a kid. It's fine. It's, a, it's an anime. Okay, so, that was always going to so be there. That's weird. Sure. The Japanese version definitely didn't make her sound like a kid. That's concerning. That's a little weird. That's America. Oh, God. Maybe I'm misreading that. I don't know. I mean, the voice actor is like an adult. She just but she, she has seemed a just affect. She just seemed small to me like a, a, a tiny person, not a child. It seemed like a bratty <laughs> little sister that was also horny in in the American version, in the English dub. 
She she had like the adult playing a kid affect thing. Go like you make the voice hoarse, and then you kind of like crack when you hit the high notes. Not not you know necessarily the interpretation I got, but I. Yeah, and we'll we'll swap versions. Yeah, well let's let's uh, come. Okay, so guys, press stop on your on your recordings, and then okay. we'll go watch the monsters. And you gotta watch the monsters. <laughs> Are we talking gonna... about the movie or the TV show? No, the Rob Zombie movie. I also think Kiwi's great, but I don't think Kiwi did anything wrong. How would I go around that but without buying? <laughs> Is it on streaming yet? That's pretty. Funny. I don't know. We should put together a watching party though. Yeah, I would be Probably. down to do that. Like that would be a fun little, especially if we start doing other things it might be fun to do a watch party and then like do that as a we'll talk we'll talk about it later Dan's anyways dead. um my favorite characters uh were main he's great david and lucy that's fair that's fair i'm a weirdo i'm allergic to main characters i can't i have to pick someone out of the top three that's fair. I also really like the man who drove the car. Uh, Falco. Yes. What a champ. What a champ. What a champ. What an absolute hero. Not like a lot I, going I on with him, but every time I saw him, I was happy. Absolutely. Uh, Dan's done with his I, joke now. I want to fight people in the comments about Kiwi. I cannot wait for this. Mm. I want I want the other members of this podcast to watch it so that they can yell at me. About who? Kiwi. Oh, I think Kiwi's great. Kiwi's fantastic. And I don't think she ever did anything wrong. I, you know, I don't know if I can agree with that, but I still think she's go. great. <laughs> fight, fight, okay. fight. But, I won't torture you guys anymore. But, about but to be fair, I, I do think that it, there's an argument, argument to be made that I don't think any character didn't do anything wrong. Uh... Some things are based as fuck, John. You just gotta accept it. Okay, well, I guess I'll die on this hill. So. And there we go. You guys scared or tired? <laughs> I'm tired of being so scared. <laughs> uh, I think my only solution is to be full blown spooked. Well, probably. <laughs> this is wow. a. He this, says through a yawn. This, this is how we go lights out. This has been our Halloween episode, so I hope you guys like it. I'll try to. I liked it. I'm hoping happy that Halloween. I, I'm happy. I'm, I'm. I'm hoping I get this out within like the next. Let's date this uh, recording the next week. Probably not. So, That's so later. When, That's a run. When we're Maybe celebrating, we're when we're we'll celebrating Christmas. This episode will be released, so the whole Halloween theme doesn't make a huge God. amount of sense. But I had fun. So fun. Right. This, this is our October 2023 episode. <laughs> That's what I was just saying. We, and just, wait, we just sit on it. And so that means all the things that we talked about or couldn't be further from the zeitgeist. Yeah. People will be like... Or release this is, December of next year. What is Halloween? Because Halloween, Halloween has been Netflix? dissolved. In, Do you think that Netflix in, Plus or Netflix or Netflix Two? Yes. I don't know. 
I don't want to think. Uh, about serious it. point of order, though, we are past the end of the podcast. We're not past the end of the podcast. We have to go out. We have to tease out. We have to say thanks for hanging out with us. Okay, thanks for hanging out with us. No, there's a lead up. We talk about things for a little bit, and then okay, we say we bye. Forget that before I forget to tell you because there's a genuine thing about the show notes that we think. I know you sent it to, to me. Them. You sent it to me. We'll talk about it. We have to tease out though, and okay, we don't I tease out until it. we're almost to the. We are almost to the four hour mark. We will tease out then. We just have. We have an hour. We have an hour left, and then we'll get there. So no. So no, we got this. No. And you guys can log. I'm gonna talk to John for an hour. Yeah, we yeah, no. we got some some things to discuss. Like, thank you all for watching this episode, episode three of the Hanging Out with Podcast, or the Hour Podcast. Is that how we? I I've tried to say it like three times. I think I got it once really good, and then I just don't even know. Anyways, uh, it's pronounced it. Thank. Uh, hanging out with and oh. that's just kind of it oh. like it's like yeah. it ends on the preposition gotcha and then and then we all just die so in that's the next right. episode i'm gonna have an entirely new cast of friends um <laughs> so that sounded exactly like us it's terrifying now it's the rehearsal for the actual podcast that'll come out <laughs> yeah it's yeah, kind of a replicate thing that john was leaning into the blade runner aspect thanks yeah thank th- th- thanks yeah Thank you guys, and thanks Thanks for hanging out with us.